Welcome to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. With your hosts, Ben Hart and Zach Arnold. Co-starring you, the fans. Sponsored by Channel 1138. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another amazing, fun, enlightening episode of the IPC Podcast. My name is Zach. Thank you so much for spending the next little while with us. We've got a great topic in store for you. It's a follow-up to last week's episode. So if you have not had a chance to listen to it, I strongly recommend you go back to iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, wherever you listen to our show. Have that a quick listen before you dive into this one. But if you just want to listen to this one, to listen to this one, that is cool too. We're happy to have you. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have kicked off our trip to Hogwarts here on IPC. Last week was our very first venture into it uh, in, the, in, the, in the history of this show. And so we get to go into the second installment now, and I am thrilled to do that. But I cannot do it alone, so... I've got to bring in some other people to help me with this discussion. If you've been listening on Channel 1138 Live, you recognize their voices, but I'm going to say hello to them anyway. First and foremost, my co-host and my good friend, Mr. Benjamin Hart. How are you tonight, man? I am doing fantastic once again. Glad to be talking some more Harry Potter with you guys. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be awesome. And to help us continue that awesomeness, back for another round. He was with us last week. He's here with us again this week, all the way from Toronto, Ontario, and from the Star Wars Underworld podcast. It's Mr. Dominic Jones. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. And, Zach, I just want to say I love that you told your listeners to go have a quick listen to a near three-hour podcast. So take it'll be quick. It'll be over, painless, relatively fast, but three hours of, uh, of podcasting. Just listen to the relevant points. <laughs> and when you condense it to the relevant pieces of conversation we had last week, things that did not involve things like March Madness and mm. did not involve things like family politics – then it's maybe like closer to an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's 100% good stuff. And the it's beauty awesome. of podcasting is you can time travel. You can stop us right here. We'll stay here. We'll stay stagnant. And you can go listen to that one. Come back. We'll still be here. Uh-huh. Hmm, stagnant, true. just like a show we were talking about during our pre-show. <laughs> or or, or you, could, you could say petrified. Ooh, petrificus oh. totalis. Oh, Oh, I like that See reference. What I did there? That was See what I that did was there? nice. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a Gloria Gaynor reference, right? <laughs> First, I was afraid. <sighs> yeah, of course. I of course. was petrified. That should have been our outro music. <laughs> <laughs> you still can be. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. I don't know. Staying alive, 
staying alive. See, now I'm thinking of The Office. Why am I getting so ADD tonight? <laughs> I'm thinking of that episode where they're teaching everybody CPR. <laughs> and he starts singing Gloria Gaynor instead of staying alive by the Bee Gees. I love that moment. That dummy chest going, first I was afraid, I was petrified. See, that's too slow, and now your patient is dead. Does anyone know what to do next? And yes. White just takes a knife out from beneath his pant leg starts ripping it to the dummy. We have to harvest the organs quickly. <laughs> Guys, this is this is just a, but a taste of what you can experience here on Channel 1138. We just got done with a, what, almost 30-minute long pre-show with these two going on about The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and just all the shenanigans that stuff. So yeah, have be you, sure to tune in for that. Have, in have addition you, to this madness, have you yeah, ever considered I, doing a, a, a The Office themed episode I, of? I, well, okay, IPC? I actually have an idea for something that is completely separate, like another show oh that God. I want to do, <laughs> but I need the funding for it. And the problem mm. is, I haven't reached out to the right people yet. But one of these days, I want to take an entire year off from everything that I do. Mm. And just do one podcast episode per day. Wow. And every day I'm discussing each individual episode of The Office. <laughs> is there 365 episodes of The Office, though? There's there's it's not 365, 200. but what I'm going to do is I'm going to intermingle it with a discussion of another one of my favorite TV shows, Friends. Ah. And the podcast is called... Office friends. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and so it's either a discussion of some of the big story arcs that happen in Friends or some of the individual episodes that happened during the office. Discuss it each of the 365 days, you know, an under hour discussion, looking at some of the trivia, the fun facts, favorite moments from the episode, et cetera, et cetera. And just do an in-depth analysis of that show. I would, I would love to do something like that. Unfortunately, I do not have time, resources, finances, anything like that. We probably could do an episode that's themed the way we did with our Frasier episode when Jake right. and Chris were on. We actually never addressed that either. It just happened. It just <laughs> kind of happened. We act like it never happened, though. It, it, it was kind of a hostile takeover. Like, they just invaded Channel 1138 and played our music, and they're like, ha-ha, this is IPC. We're talking about Frasier. And you have, <laughs> to, you have to also listen to that episode to the end. I love the part where Chris gets to the end. He's like... How do they end this show normally? <laughs> and then they just proceed to have a discussion about what they think the show should actually be ended ends like. Like it's amazing. What they don't approve of the way we end the show? I don't. Do, they, I guess they couldn't remember or whatever. But they're like, oh, well, what, there's something good about a fortune cookie and outro music. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can tell we definitely left that episode in very capable hands. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we did. <laughs> uh, that, uh, my voice is supposed to be dripping with sarcasm right now. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, we we are talking about the office tonight, right? We're talking yes. about Dwight Dwight oh. Fruit. No, no, no. I'm in. Okay, Paris although... beats Battlestar Galactica. Let's do this, dude. Dude, that could be the name of an office-themed podcast. <laughs> an office-themed sci-fi podcast where you talk about The Office or you talk about... Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica or or farm life <laughs> or something. I don't know. Okay, there's a show called Green Acres. We could talk about Green Acres, and that's the beat aspect because they live on a farm in that show. I guess. And then, and then the, the bears would be like 
Survivor episodes or something like that, or Bear Grylls, like like Bear Grylls' survival show. I just want to get to a certain point in my life where any of these podcasts that I think of off the top of my head are actually possible. <laughs> oh my right gosh. now, anytime I think of something, it's like, nah, it's not going to happen. No way. Well, I mean, that's kind of what happened with Sci-Fi Symphony is it's kind of been put on the back burner because it's just so labor intensive. I would love to do Sci-Fi Symphony on a regular basis, but there's just a lot of work that goes into it, and I just don't have the time to put that kind of effort into it right now. And that's unfortunate because I love that show. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, it is what it is. But speaking of which, we've actually got stuff to talk about tonight because people do love this show, believe it or not. Um, so if you are a big fan of IPC and you want to be involved more, just let us know and we will get you hooked up with a new Facebook group of ours called the Peacekeeper Core. And basically there's just a lot of really fun discussions and analysis and some behind the scenes stuff that you may not know about here on the show or that you may not know about on the Facebook page, because most of what we do over there is promos. If you want to be more involved with the IPC community than you already are, then let us know, and we'll get you hooked up with that. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. You, uh, If you're a member of the Peacekeeper Corps, you actually found out at the beginning of the month what our conversation topics were going to be, and you knew the Chamber of Secrets was going to be tonight, so it would give you enough time to watch it and be prepared for whatever it is we were going to discuss. And believe me, there is plenty to discuss about this film. Uh, it is the second installment out of eight movies that are made. And you know how they say that most sequels are not as good as the originals? I'm really curious about what you guys think, both as somebody that's a longtime fan of the series, Dominic, and somebody like you, Ben, who is very new to it, same as me. What did you guys make of this as a follow-up to Sorcerer's Stone? Dominic, please. Okay, um... So let me start by saying I, I absolutely love Chamber of Secrets just like I love the entire uh, Harry Potter series. Um, however, if I have to sort of like put them into like put them into some sort of ranking, this would mm-hmm. be towards the, the the bottom of the list. I don't know if mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could say it's it's my, my least favorite or anything like that. Uh, but I you know if I had to do that, it would sort of rank a little bit lower. Um, and I can't really put my finger on why uh i i think it's really enjoyable it's a a really good story i think there's a lot of important themes and important uh messages in this story there's some great new characters but just uh just personally there's some stuff in the other ones that just that hit home at the at the right time and and you know it's hard it's hard to sort of take yourself out of you know sometimes your fan perspective on things and and so some of the later books kind of rank higher for me just on the sort of a personal level just because i remember reading them for the first time and the anticipation of waiting for them or uh the waiting for the movies like order of the phoenix is is generally generally finishes lower on people's list but it's right up at the top of mind just because i remember that was the first book i remember waiting for i remember you know that summer that the movie came out was the same summer that the last book was coming out so it was just sort of like potter mania so i have sort of very pleasant memories of that uh so it, it tends to rank fairly highly even though for a lot of people it ranks a little bit lower uh and so chamber of secrets sort of fits in kind of middle of the pack uh maybe a little on the low side and again can't really put my finger on why um that being said i do really really like it and and you know i I say lower end of or sort of lower tier but 
you're not going to be able to tell that from our, our discussion when we get into some of the stuff, because I really, like I said, I really do love this one. Well, as someone who has only seen two Harry Potter films, it's hard to rank them. Certainly. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, you know, one on top of the other, whatever. Um, I, I think I, I think I enjoyed this one more, to All be right. honest. Nice. A little bit more than the first one. Um, and just the fact of it does, I think it does well because as we know, I mean, Harry Potter is a bit different because it's like, I think it's pretty clear that they were going to make all these movies regardless, <laughs> like regardless if like, maybe if the first one had just been terrible and everyone hated it, like thing. but once they got the first one off the ground, it's like, okay, we're just, we're chugging through this and we're going to, and I, I get the impression that. There's not really a terrible one among the bunch. No. Like most of them are are pretty well received, which is which is great. And that's what that makes me even more excited to actually watch all of them. So but like with any franchise, I think the, the sequel can kind of make and break make or break things for an entire franchise because you're you know, you got your introductions, whatever. Now let's actually move the story forward and see where this goes. Um so and that's why I you know I enjoy sequels probably you know more so than like origin films whatever I mean Empire Strikes Back whatever like you know because it's not about it's it's accepting that you are you know where this is going you know where we've come from no need to introduce characters or whatever just jump right into the story um and that's what I like about this one is that it's it's really it I mean it really jumps right into it and starts telling you the story. There's not as much time spent back at the place. That's one of the things I was wondering, what coming out of the first one was they're going back to get on the train and go home for the summer. And I'm like, Harry's not really going back to that hellhole, is he? Like, <laughs> like, does he have a home? Like, he can't stay at Hogwarts? Come on. Um, so I was kind of I was kind of surprised to see him like, okay, he's going back to this place and getting even treated worse now. Um, but like, yeah, overall, like I... I think I really enjoyed it. It did some things that I wasn't expecting. I actually like just to give some background. I do remember I remember reading Lego magazine back in the day when this movie was when this movie was coming out and they had the Lego sets in there. They had the Basilisk set Nice. And they had several things. I remember those specifically. I had no idea what they were, of <laughs> course, but I knew it was Harry Potter. I knew it was new movies coming out, and I had, you know, probably saw the trailers or whatever stuff, commercials on TV. But like, other than that, like, I, I was fascinated by the Lego set. I'm like, okay, what is this? There was no internet. Like, I, had, I, I couldn't go Google it. You know, <laughs> like I couldn't, you know, you know, find the movie online or watch it. You know, like there was nothing like that. It was just like. Okay, what well, this is pretty cool. What is this? And of course, it's Legos. Like, okay, that's pretty cool. So, like, I I did have a few things about this movie. Like, I knew that there was a giant snake. I told you last week. I knew there's a giant snake in this movie. That's all I know. And so that was pretty interesting to kind of see that kind of fully formed as okay, that's what that is. Twenty years later, I finally figure it out. Or almost twenty years later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Um. This is kind of on topic, kind of not. Um, there was a show that I saw, or a movie that I saw not too long ago, that also had a giant snake in it, and this snake was mutated to this point where it was able to turn invisible. 
And I can't remember for the life of me where this giant 60-foot invisible snake stems from. (laughs) And I thought for a second, maybe I actually caught a glimpse of it on Harry Potter and I didn't realize it. And I watched this entire movie waiting for like some sort of CGI invisible snake to (laughs) pop out in the hallways of Hogwarts. And it never did. Mm. And I was like, where have I seen this before? And... I'm still racking my brain. I don't remember where I saw this 60-foot invisible snake, but a lot of the premise of what they talked about in this film involved stuff that seemed like a giant invisible snake was terrorizing the halls of the school. And I was like, this must be it. And then it wasn't. So now I'm still kind of at a loss as to (laughs) where it was I actually saw this thing because I, I honestly don't remember. All my shows are kind of running together now, and it's weird. But um, as as a film, as a movie, it definitely had a different tone than Sorcerer's Stone did, because Sorcerer's Stone, the 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 stone itself was kind of an afterthought, and it really only affected like maybe the last third of the film. the The first half to the first two thirds was, as you said, was more introductory and more adventure driven, getting you know you. Uh, into a place where you understand what happens at the school, a better understanding of the characters and where they hail from, et cetera, et cetera. Like just a sense of wonder, Uh sense of awe. And then a conversation about the stone kind of happens towards the end of the movie. And it reminds you, Oh yeah, there's something bigger at play here that we need to be aware of. Uh And that something bigger kind of starts to take effect in this second film. And, there's a lot more drama. There's a lot more intrigue. There's a lot more mystery. There's a lot more peril in this film. And in some instances, I liked the tonal shift. In some other instances, I was kind of annoyed that I don't get to experience the same awe and wonder that I did in the first film. Right. And so I had kind of this catch-22 where it was like, oh, this is different, and I like different. But the first different that I experienced with Sorcerer's Stone was like an enjoyable different. And this one is the kind of different that's like, oh, this is this is like bad. These people are in danger. Stuff could happen. And stuff did happen. And so I, I'm still kind of kind of in the middle about this movie because I know that it's taking you in a direction that's going to give you more character-driven depth that's going to give you, you know, better storytelling than the sense of adventure that you have with the first film. But I liked the first film. I enjoyed the first film so much that I kind of want more of it, too. And so, I don't know. Maybe as we talk about it tonight, I'll have a better a better idea of just how I want to score this movie. Yeah, this mm-hmm. one definitely takes you from that first that first movie, which really... It, it really sells you on on the magic and the wonder and and the incredible that incredible really world and and this one is really where yeah the story kind of kicks into in, into proper gear and there's some stuff in this book that comes back into play in a big way later in the series mm. i won't tell you what it is well i'll let you guys have that experience when you get there but the people that have read the books or have seen the movies already know what i'm talking about yeah um, this is all very new to us so mm-hmm. we can only discuss the spoilers of the first two movies and then as we progress throughout the course of 2018 stuff will continue to be revealed to us i have a feeling that i'm going to jump ahead and start 
watching some <laughs> of the other movies because I just can't know. wait that long. Oh, oh, um, just listen, my original fans, my book fans, you guys, listen to this guy. We waited years for these things. We, I remember reading like <laughs> little mini excerpts from the books in the newspaper, like just for like, a, wow. and it was like, uh, I from Order of the Phoenix, like the, it was just like four sentences like a four sentence preview, like the first four sentences of the book that were published in the newspaper. And it was just reading it over and over again. Cause it was like, have newspaper? to newspaper. What the hell is that? I, I know. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like the internet, but printed out um, and fact check. Why would you print it out when I can look at it on the computer? <laughs> I, I know. I, it's, Seriously. It's, it's, it's crazy. An awful. Awful age. I mean, I, I suppose next you're telling me that you have to use your telephone line in order to get internet. I, <laughs> I think this was a little bit after that. <laughs> Not by much. Not by much. Um, you, I mean, in the early 2000s, you were still using dial-up, weren't you? Yeah, I'm trying to think when when we switched. I can't. I don't know. I can't. Honestly, don't know. Um, um, I'm pretty sure we had America I, Online I remember, until like 2006. I remember having a computer where you would log on, you would turn on the computer, then you had this little floating bar thing that would, you had to click on it and get to turn on to connect to the internet. Then it would go to the the, the classic that really weird like sound, like faxing sound, like yeah. the one that actually, you made. Yeah, that no, not at all what I made. Um, what? <laughs> I started that. I started that. I'm like, oh god, I am butchering this. I have to stop. Um, so, but you get my. I'm point. like, I don't know if you can find that sound effect. Like, we're gonna have to turn that into a sound effect. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, just take an excerpt from Ben's voice. I will. There. I I will personally kill you. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, who who knows? Who knows? All right, let's move on. Let's move uh, on. Harry Potter. Harry people. Potter. Harry yeah. Potter. But yeah, it, this one does definitely have a darker tone, and yeah, the series does just get darker and darker as it goes along, as as they grow up. Uh, you know, you're you're the these the way the books were published and and the movies the way they came out as well. Like really, people grow up with these stories you know they start off as that kind of ah oh, quidditch is great look at how crazy diagon alley is like wouldn't you want to live in this world and then in this one you suddenly have you know uh you know all these horrible things are happening at the school like this place that was sort of the safe sanctuary of fun and 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 a different experience a different life and and then all of a sudden there's these terrible things that are happening and 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 then in the third one it just keeps going and, and, and going from there. I mean, once once you guys are introduced to Dementors, that's a whole other level of, of darkness that's introduced. Um, but yeah. it, it does kind of, yeah, the series does kind of it kind of lose that a little bit, but it I do think it maintains it in a lot of ways. You know, there's some, there are some really fun aspects that are carried through throughout the, pretty much the entire series, just sort of uh, up until maybe the last book was where it gets pretty <laughs> where it's all pretty dark but there's through the first six there's still some pretty fun aspects and and once the Voldemort story really kicks into gear um you know we're still kind of with the prologue on the Voldemort stuff once that really kicks yeah. into gear you you get yeah. you're, you're you're invested in seeing how that winds uh, how that wraps up 
Yeah, there there was definitely like some uh I don't know what you would call it, time travel flashbacks kind of stuff that happened in this one. And mm. I guess like there were also a lot of internet memes, cultural memes that also kind of took effect in this one because mm. I remember seeing pictures on Facebook about you know, wonder why girls don't like going to the bathroom alone. Just look at what happened to Myrtle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Like those those kinds of memes have been around since two thousand eight. <laughs> like mm-hmm. those are those are old old memes, and I get it now. I get it now. And um, I guess what I didn't get one of the things that really intrigued me was the fact that she died as a little girl, so her her adolescent ghost doesn't mature it doesn't age and she's been dead for 50 years (laughs) that was one aspect that i really didn't see coming because when you're looking at all of these present day adolescents or or prepubescents or whatever you want to call them in hogwarts today i guess you just sometimes have this disconnect where you don't realize oh well you know if there's spirits that are roaming these halls they could be around for goodness knows how long uh-huh. and so myrtle was a really interesting character for me just the the sense that she's made herself into kind of a legend in almost all the wrong reasons <laughs> like she she died in the bathroom and now this bathroom's been abandoned for five decades mm-hmm. because nobody wants to be taking a piss when she's complaining about you on the pot yeah yeah <laughs> like <laughs> That's basically why nobody goes there and why it was such a perfect place for them to be working on this potion of theirs. Like, there's some pretty, pretty, uh, integral storylines that go through Myrtle and this girl's lavatory that I really was not expecting to be central plot devices. It was, it was entertaining and also intriguing all at the same time. Yeah. It, it feels like one of those things where, you know, when when she was writing the story, J.K. Rowling was like, OK, where can I put them that nobody will find them? I know. Abandoned bathroom. Why is it abandoned? There's a ghost there um, or it's haunted. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden she realized, oh, somebody needed to have died when the chamber last mm-hmm. opened. And oh, look at that. We can tie it all together. But, yeah, it is kind of it, it, it's one of those like kind of ridiculous things that, you know, it does it it kind of works it kind of works that that's why that that bathroom is the perfect place yeah and she's a interesting character let's <laughs> just put it that way like interesting just, i i love her voice being like that she just you, you can understand why people don't want to go to the bathroom when she's in there because mm-hmm. i mean i mean obviously like, like personal space but also like annoying as hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah Whoa. tell us how you really feel ben yeah well that, that was <laughs> such good casting on, on for oh, this yeah film. like that to find somebody who could do that that well it's good stuff it's good stuff oh yeah, oh, yeah. love it love absolutely it. um so i i don't know i don't know if we want to talk about it in chronology or not but i mean we were we were talking about some of the you know, dark and intriguing points, but also some of the more whimsical points. I think one of the very uh, whimsical elements, like I really don't even know how to, how to describe this, but it it starts 
you know, in in the first portion of the movie, and then it just makes this really random appearance in the middle of the film that I really was not expecting at all. The Weasleys have this flying car <laughs> that reminded me a little bit of the old Fred McMurray film, The Absent-Minded Professor. Do you guys remember The Absent-Minded Professor by any chance? No. I don't think it so. Was, it was the story of Flubber before Robin Williams had the story of Flubber. Oh, okay. And he, and he put his flying rubber into an old Ford Model T. And it caused the car to levitate. And he used it to terrorize the car of his love interests, like his love interest rival. Mm. So there was like a love triangle going on. And he used his car to basically bounce on top of the other guy's car while he's driving to terrorize him to try and bounce him out of the love triangle. Interesting. And you, and and you seeing, said it was a, it, you, seeing this flying car just brought back a lot of memories from flying cars of the old days and the very obvious wires and strings that you saw on it. <laughs> and maybe they weren't quite so obvious in this film, but I really was not expecting a flying car to be part of the Harry Potter universe. And then they show up in it and they're like, we're getting you out of here. I was like, really? This is the best you could come up with? I mean, you're full of spells and potions and incantations and other various magic. And the best way you can transport Harry from his situation is with a flying car. (laughs) I don't know. I love I love the flying car. I I, I love I, just just to broaden it a little bit. I love everything relating to the Weasleys in this. Oh, I love the yeah. Weasleys. The Weasleys like, are an adorable family. Yeah, when when you talk about sort of the whimsical side of of the film, you really get that in the Weasleys and the Burrow, which is their house, um, and and just everything about sort of that. You were again one thing that I think the film and the book does really well is. By having, it reminds you of, it does a really good job of, of recapping the first film without recapping the first film. It kind of recaps the feeling of the first film. You're reminded right away of why life at the, the Dursleys is bad. You're reminded of the oh, yeah. inherent danger in Harry being a wizard, but you're also reminded of the fun. And I think the flying car fits into that. And then when you get to the Weasleys and you have, you know, Mrs. Weasley giving giving the Weasley boys hell and then uh but also, you know, being really nice to Harry, you know, going, How dare you do that? Oh Harry dear, it's so nice to see you. You know, like that whole uh exchange <laughs> and then you know, Ginny running in and, and seeing Harry and kind of doing the, you know, the thing that Troy does on Community when he sees LeVar Burton and like running out of the room. <laughs> and and then uh, and, and then, you know, Mr. Weasley. Um, oh, I love Mr. And, Weasley. And, you know, great. you know, it, what exactly <laughs> is the function of a rubber duck? You know, just all of this like crazy. Just he's so funny. And, and, and again, it's so whimsical. And you're reminded of sort of the magic of the world before kind of the. The, the darkness really sets in when, when, when you get to Nocturne Alley and, and then eventually the chamber opens. Well, and when, when, he, when he gets word, when Mr. Weasley gets word that the boys took the car out for a joyride, he was like, how was it? Yeah. And then his wife has to <laughs> slap him. And he's like, oh, no, no, that was, a, that was a terrible, horrible thing to do. You must never do that again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's exactly. The Weasleys are just like, the Weasleys are that family that you, you, 
you kind of wish you were a part of, or at least, and at least the Harry does. You know, I mean, I kind oh, of yeah. am, honestly. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe that's why I love the Weasleys so much is because I see so many similarities to it in my family. Like, they th- here, here's the thing about the Weasleys is they are the the generational family that is super accustomed to magic. Mm-hmm. Like, they have integrated it into their lifestyle so much that it's second nature. You know, the, there's there's nothing wrong with using, what do they call it, flu powder, flu dust? Yeah, flu powder, yeah. Flu powder. They they have no problem using flu powder, and they know how to go and, and how to use it, and they they know how to how to use magic to their advantage for their everyday life, like washing dishes. You just see a dish kind of washing itself yeah. in the sink when you first walk in. <laughs> Love it. Like, they are just so accustomed to integrating magic into their lives that it's just second nature. Mm-hmm. They they don't have to do anything fancy. They don't have to do anything special. And I think that's what makes them so accessible is they're kind of like this everyday middle-class family, but with magic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what makes them so much fun to watch is, you know, seeing teenagers and weird social interactions and also seeing house life and family life and, and seeing how – that really isn't that far removed from our mm-hmm. middle class uh, everyday life. Sure. Just with a few twists on it. Just with yeah, well, a I, couple of magical yeah. twists. Yeah. Go ahead. Like a flying yeah. car instead like, of a regular car. <laughs> yeah. And, and early on in this movie, you get kind of a bunch of different perspectives. You get the Dursleys. Is that their name? Dursley. Yep. Yep. Um, th- their perspective on, you know, just kind of a little bit, kind of a reminder of they still exist. And yes, they're still treating Harry like crap. About, you know, and, and just introducing the idea that these are the, as you put it last week, Dominic, these people that are, that are desperately trying to be normal, mm-hmm. that are that are trying to be just super normal and apparently are aware. I mean, obviously are aware of the fact that wizard, I mean, this is a universe where wizardry is kind of under the radar, like mm-hmm. the, the whole world doesn't really know about it, I guess. Yeah. And so, but these people do know about it, but they don't want to know about it. They, they just want to be normal. And they're just they're jerks about it. They're terrible people. On the flip side of that, you have the Weasleys, who are wizards, who are just these just this lovable, great family. And then you get the, I guess you could say the upper class of this the snobby nosed jerks in the wizarding world, which is the Malfoys. Yeah, you get introduced to, mm-hmm. um, you know into lucius and so I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing of the the patterns of you know, you know not everyone of course in the wizarding world is, is nice and, and thing and I, I think it's it's you have this different class system in both the quote-unquote real world and you have this kind of stuff happening in the wizarding world that is people that think they're they're better than everyone else because they're pure blood or whatever yeah this film really begins to dive into you know that that sort of that side of things. You have the whole pure blood, the pure blood, mud blood, uh, uh, aspect of the story, and you know it. It's it takes it in a you know it, it's it, art is a reflection of reality in a lot of ways, and and it picks up on on some of those issues, and and you know it, it definitely works as some kind of um, you know, metaphor or analogy or, or whatever you want for racism or, or whatever ism you want to mm-hmm. inject there. And, you know, yeah, somebody like Malfoy and, and you know, it's, um, 
it, you know, the, the Malfoy's connections to, to the dark, the dark wizard world are a little bit downplayed in the films. They're, they're, they're even in, in the chamber of secrets book, it's a little bit more, it's made a little bit more explicit, but I mean, Malfoy is Lucius Malfoy. He's, he's in possession of Lord Voldemort's diary, his childhood diary. Mm-hmm. So it tells you something about him and what he, what side he's on. And the fact that he seems okay with, you know, giving it to Ginny Weasley and allowing her to open the chamber of secrets, you know, it, 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 it you know, it, it lets you know that, you know, Voldemort's followers, you know, they're not just, their, their evil is not just like comic book evil of we want to rule the world because we're evil. It, it's rooted in something far more real that they do think they're superior to other people because of something that we have no control over. That anybody has no control over, you know, it's, it's because of who they are, basically, because they are pure blood. They think they're better than the mudbloods or even the halfbloods or the muggles when, as Hagrid points out, you know, there's no there's no spell that uh, Hermione can't cast. And yet she is mudblood air quotes, you know, so it, it, it you know, the evil in this story is not just giant snakes or giant spiders or whatever you want it is really rooted in something far more real oh yeah totally i mean that's 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 that is the very definition of racism Mm -hmm. like the you know that's where racism starts really is people going hey i'm i'm pure i'm i'm this i'm that i'm better than you i'm you're 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 not fit to be this because of that so you know it's a very good way of kind of showing a different side of that of you know and very you know it's still it's very relatable and very clear but also you know very very wrong uh-huh. and you know you get the, and it also just like as you said like hermione seems the most out of the three, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, she seems the most competent in actually doing spells and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, Harry and Ron seem to be not not stupid, but they're very much kind of like goofballs. And especially like the first part of this movie, they're they're driving the car and they're doing all getting all all these all this trouble. And you're like, you know, your wizard, just, <laughs> you could, Hermione could have got you out of this like ten times, but you know, th- there's th- they keep falling into these traps. It's, it's amazing, mm-hmm. but that's that's the whole crux of it is that it does not matter. That kind of stuff does not matter. But you have people that are just terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my! Sorry, guys, I got distracted by some <laughs> epic fan posters that I found online. <laughs> <laughs> like Harry Somebody, Potter fan posters? Uh, more like Star Trek. <sighs> oh, jeez, <laughs> man. Stay with the program. Sorry, man. I'm all over the place today. Uh, I'm uh, to... I, uh, it's, it's not just you. It's not just you. I'm going to have to send it to you guys so that I'm justified in my claims because I was... I was like really like I was just scrolling and my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, please let this be real. And then it said fan art and I was like, oh, crap. But, like, I was looking at this going, oh, my gosh, I would watch the heck out of this. Especially after just watching Logan not too long ago and seeing um, mm. seeing Patrick Stewart in that film. I was just like, oh, man, I would so watch that. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think in this one it's probably more along the lines of classism, but you're right, Don. It, it, it doesn't really matter what kind of ism it is as long as it presents itself in this concept of superiority. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of internal politics that get discussed in this film, and maybe that's one of the other tonal shifts is you've gone from separating muggles from wizardborn and now you're recognizing that wizardborn also have their own distinctions mm-hmm. and that it's a, it's a lot deeper and a lot less integrated than you thought it was and then there's also the concept of you know the bringing bringing back to light the idea that maybe harry doesn't belong in Gryffindor house. Mm. Yeah. Like that, that was one that I, that I really didn't see coming that I, that, that they finally did talk about towards the last 20 minutes of the film or whatever was, you know, this, this idea that he, when, when he first got there as a first year, Harry was whispering to the hat, to the sorting hat, please don't be Slytherin. Please don't be Slytherin. Like he really didn't want to be part of that group, but the deeper into crap Harry finds himself, the more he seems to reveal that he probably does belong with them a bit more than he than he than he wants to give on. Because, you know, he he's he's born of, of two wizarding parents, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Right. So so he's he's a true blood. He's, Am I getting the terms right? The term is is pure blood. He's he's sort of classified as a little bit more of a half blood because his mother would have been a mud blood, um, because his mother was born of Muggle parents. Uh, so I guess okay. he's like a three quarters blood. You know, it's he's not pure the way, pure again the way like the Malfoys would be, but, right? But then again, uh. <sighs> I don't know if I don't know if I should say this yet, but um, well, I mean, there's there's I mean, there's an entire book that's called Half Blood Prince. Half Blood Prince. So, yes, but am I close? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I I don't. See, this is why we just need to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stick we'll stick with this movie because because you you bring up you bring up Half Blood Prince and that's uh, never mind. Sticking with uh, sticking with this movie. So yeah, so so Harry Harry, you know, he he wouldn't draw the ire of of Malfoy the same way that Hermione does, obviously. But uh, you know, Ron still manages to draw the ire of the Malfoys, and the Weasleys draw the ire of the Malfoys just in general because they, you know, they're so much the opposite. They are. You know, they're lower middle class. They are, you know, Mr. Weasley is fascinated by muggles. That's, you know, it's, it's played up even more in the book. Like uh, her, you see in the movie, Hermione's parents uh, are talking with Mr. Weasley for a, a few minutes uh, just in like one shot. That That's played up a lot more in, in the in the movie you, or in the book. It's the same thing with, with all this stuff. And the rivalry between Lucius and, and Arthur Weasley uh, is also played up much more in the book like they have a fist fight in the bookstore in the book uh whereas in the movie they just kind of stare each other down but you know you see kind of that's that's really where you see sort of the classism side of it you know they they view even though the weasleys would be technically purebloods they view them as kind of you know traitors to to the uh to the the wizarding cause because they are interested in muggles and they believe in you know wizard muggle relations and 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 all that all that fun stuff um 
whereas you know with Hermione it's it's just purely because she doesn't come from the same world literally as they do you know she has different parents than Malfoy would I mean that should be that should be enough that should be enough proof right there that she is so talented and she's the her parents are both muggles like it's yeah. I mean it's 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 the same thing with like being a Jedi in Star Wars like it's not it is hereditary but also you can have parents that are not force sensitive and are still like you can be like super powerful in the force like like it's not this something that you, you has to be passed down like it's just Certainly. something that happens and okay you're you're really powerful in this sense yeah i can't remember what how, how we got onto that but i i was my fault <laughs> well i mean okay so i'm i'm going to i'm going to be a little derivative for just a second because the comparison that you were making between the weasleys and the mouth boys got me thinking about the x-men movies that also came sure. out around a similar time uh, yeah. in, the, in the early 2000s with uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Mm-hmm. Another Patrick Stewart movie. I just need to watch Patrick Stewart. I'm going to put on The Next Generation when the show is over or something <laughs> and just get my Patrick Stewart fix on or something. Yeah. But, um, you know, in 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 that connotation, in that universe, uh, Professor X is very interested in peaceful relations between mutants and the rest of humanity uh-huh. whereas magneto is looking at it from a perspective of as mutants we are not inferior our abilities make us superior why would we try and negotiate with those that are beneath us why would we try and establish relations with those that do not possess what we do kind of thing uh-huh. and i'm seeing a fairly similar sense of classism in the wizarding world as well. Yes. And, and the, the Weasleys kind of represent what professor X is trying to do, where he's trying to establish relations, trying to understand, get to know them, try and find if there's a way for, for peace to be brought about. And the Malfoys don't really want anything to do with the rest of humanity because they see them as inferior subjects, inferior beings. And I think it, I think it was exemplified in the way that Malfoy, you know, discusses either Malfoy, uh-huh. you know, Lucius, Lucius or Draco, yeah. the way either of them discuss muggles and mudbloods and also in the way that, um, that they treat those beneath them. You know, I'm not going to give away too many spoilers about the end of the movie, but you know, he was, he was pretty mad that, that he, uh, that he lost his, his servant uh-huh. at the end of the movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, w- he was not, he was not necessarily very nice about that. Made uh, made quite a few threats in certain characters' directions that I was like, "Ooh, that's that's going to lead to something, uh, something bigger down the road." But while I'm here, can I also just uh-huh. give some mad props to Jason Isaacs? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, what a phenomenal actor! Like, yeah. for the longest time, I was trying to figure out where to place him because it was like. I recognize his face, but his hair doesn't match the face that I recognize him <laughs> from. And I recognize the voice, but the voice does not match the hair. I kept thinking he was Lee Pace because I've been watching The Hobbit not too long right, ago. Right, right. And I and I was thinking of you know the the Elven Lords because of his long blonde hair. But then I kind of separated his hair from his face, and I was like, oh my god, that's the Colonel from The Patriot. The British colonel that is like Mel Gibson's adversary. <laughs> and then at one point, 
I just like separated face from voice. And I was like, I know that voice as well. And anybody that's watched Star Wars Rebels yep. also recognizes Jason Isaacs' voice. So he's just a well-traveled actor yeah. in, the, in the voice and the physical front. And he did an amazing job as Lucius Malfoy in this movie. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. He, he really taps into that. You know, he, 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 I, I wonder, I, I've never heard, heard anything about this from Jason Isaacs, but I wonder how much, you know, did he look at what, you know, the Draco character had done in the first one and then just sort of uh, was like, all right, let's do that and we'll turn it up to 11. Because <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, he, that's what it felt like. He really does. And you really see, oh, this, okay. So this is where Draco gets that. And, and again, yes. again, it sort of taps into the whole idea of why Harry ha- kind of had to be raised or or why maybe not had to but why Dumbledore would want Harry to be raised outside the wizarding world because he could have been so easily corrupted by somebody who was telling him how great he is because that's what the Malfoys believe is how great they are and how how they're they're because of their bloodline they're they're the best and and they should be above others and you know Harry and and this is goes into what you were saying earlier Zach about you know Harry you know, did he wind up in the wrong house and the sorting hat says to him you know you would have been great in Slytherin. You would have been mm-hmm. great. And if, if Harry had gone with the, had wound up with people like the Malfoys, he would have been great, but he would have been evil. And he would have fallen into the Magneto side of things rather than the Professor X side of things. And, you know, it, it, just to, to continue that comparison, I think, you know, Dumbledore and Harry really sort of represent that kind of Professor X side of things. Whereas, yeah, um, the Magneto side of things is definitely Voldemort and, and Grindelwald in the in the Fantastic Beasts movie, uh, you know, really in, in Fantastic Beasts, it, this is played up a little bit more. But the idea of, you know, wizards not wanting to, uh, you know, not wanting to have to hide from muggles anymore, feeling they are superior to muggles anymore. And that's why they're sort of ra- rallying behind this evil wizard. And it's, it's strongly implied, it's not stated as overtly, but strongly implied that that's the same as, the, you know, Voldemort used those same tactics to get people to rally behind him. Mm, yeah, definitely. I can see that. I can see that. Looking, looking at some of the implications that were made in this film and in some of the, some of the flashback sequences that we got, I can, I can definitely see where those would, where those kind of tie-ins could be made. Um, Man, there's just so much to cover in this movie. Let's let's go ahead and talk about uh, one of one of the one of the more uh, underappreciated characters in in this film, and and a very interesting use of uh, computer graphics, uh, especially in the in the early 2000s. You know, you've got characters like Smeagol going on with the Hobbit series yeah. in the early 2000s, and then you go over to the the Harry Potter side of things. You go to Warner Brothers. And they've got Dobby the house elf. <laughs> yeah. Ben, what did you make of Dobby and his influence that he had in this film? Oh, I loved it. I, I think, first of all, i really surprised to see, um, or more importantly, to hear Toby Jones as the voice. I, yes. mean, I haven't heard him in too many things. I was like... Who is that? Because I, I remember and something we actually didn't talk about last week was like all of Warwick Davis's cameos in the first film. <laughs> yeah, and I think he does like because I, 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 I kept hearing his voice. And of course, you'd see him every once in a while, like every little person that I saw. I'm like, oh, is that Warwick? Is that Warwick? So immediately I'm like, is this Warwick? Is this him? 
So I literally Googled it while watching the movie, and no, it's Toby Jones. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I haven't seen him outside of, you know, you know the MCU. I haven't seen him in a lot of things. So, and just, I mean, really great source of humor in the movie, but also just like, where did this guy come from? And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's it's great and the whole thing with dropping a cake on what the, <laughs> the neighbor's head, like, is so so crazy and you feel sorry for harry but you know and but this just this this elf that comes out of nowhere is like oh you can't go back so you already know that stuff's going down at hogwarts like this this is this is getting serious enough that someone's told harry is trying to keep harry away from hogwarts the methods were a little interesting though like making him feel forgotten by his friends yeah like that's pretty devious like to make him feel that upset like nobody's written me the whole summer they don't like me so i'm just gonna stay home with these wretched people because everybody at hogwarts is wretched too like i don't i don't know like maybe he didn't take a moment to look at harry's experiences and his surroundings because he really i i don't i think i think he may have underestimated how horrible the Dursleys are yeah. before <laughs> before trying to implement some of his methods because once he actually did start using drastic measures like the cake then it became a bit more effective yeah it, it may be one of right. those situations like where um you know life is so terrible for Dobby that he looked at life with the, as with the Dursleys and went yeah could be worse could be me um and sort of thought well maybe if i try this you know sort of subtle tactic that'll work because and and i don't know if it this okay i'm trying i read the book and watched the movie like within the same time frame so they're kind of blurring together so i'm not i did i reread the book for the show by the way um i I, and so i I, these things are kind of blurring the entire book it's not a long book it's only Did you read a whole book in a week yeah it's only 251 pages you read a whole book in a week i read the last <laughs> i read the last jedi novelization in three days you read a whole book in a week <laughs> yeah reading is fun you read yeah i love reading i'm kidding i'm just messing with you man i mean it doesn't it it doesn't sound much longer than than something like the hobbit and i can read the hobbit in under a week so it's not and it and it and it and it helps when you've like read it already so you kind of yeah so it's more like a refresher than anything else yeah yeah although although when you're reading something like jurassic park you kind of have to read it about three times before it starts becoming casual because there's just (laughs) so much in that and so many scientific theories that get expressed in it like seriously when 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 they're in the movie and they're just kind of going along the trail and and jeff goldblum does the whole butterfly effect description and then does the thing with the drop of water that goes off of off of the off of the girl's hand off of laura dern's hand like that happens in the span of maybe 60 seconds or so yeah in the book, it goes on for about 16 pages. <laughs> wow. I'm not even kidding. Okay. Like he, talks about, he talks about chaos theory and the butterfly effect for several 
several pages giving examples and very in-depth analysis over it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, can we please get back to the story? <laughs> but I mean, assume I'm assuming Harry Potter is not that it's way. It's not like that way. Not like that at all. Although when you get to, you know, when you hit the fourth book, then they, they like triple in size. But anyways, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. The point I was getting at was with, uh, with Dobby is, you know, it's, it's kind of also, it, it, it's stated outright in the book and it's kind of implied in the movie that he's taking a big risk to be there. Oh like, yeah. To get away from the Malfoys. So for, from his pr- point of view, you know, one, maybe as, you know, as being the, the, the Malfoy's slave looking at life with the Dursleys doesn't seem so bad. Uh, but also, you know, he's trying to do things that will maybe try and dissuade Harry from going back from afar and when he, he kind of realizes maybe that's not going to totally work that then he has to take things into his own hands and show up there and drop a cake on somebody you know like you do yeah of course we've also all i just situations. need to take a pause real quick i finally opened up the chat and realized we've had a lot of really awesome engagement from our friend james in the chat so thank you for being a part of the conversation this evening, James. I know that not a lot of people join us live anymore because you can find us on places like iTunes and Google Play, but for the loyal people that stay with us live on Friday nights, I have to give them a special hello. So Mm. thank you for being a part of all of this stuff, man. Uh, Really, really great insight, what you've got here, man. I am just going to take a little while to get caught up on it is all, but I... (sighs) I also have to look at it from a technical aspect. I have to look at Dobby's character, not just from the risk that he takes and and his integration from the book and that kind of thing, but from a, from a technical, from a technical perspective, comparisons to from from him to Gollum are going to be made similarly to the way that the connections and and the, and the examinations between Aragog and Shelob are going to be made. You know, they're both, extremely extremely large spiders characters (laughs) and they're only a year apart this uh this film came out in 02 i believe and they made return of the king in 03 so from what i recall there was a lot of pressure on the lord of the rings staff to do a really impressive shilo because of what they did with the forest in this movie so you know harry potter's kind of got some competition going on Mm, and so now the question arises, you know, who who did better with what? Like in my personal opinion and in my estimations, I think I think Lord of the Rings did better with both, but it had to do with the concept of large spiders. If you're looking at medium-sized, like plate-sized spiders and the multitude of spiders, Harry Potter wins by a landslide. Yeah, I I think yeah, you know, the Lord of the Rings films are so technically advanced and you know they were you know they were taking what was being done with the star wars prequels and just building on on that to create something even more incredible and yeah i mean you know when you compare dobby to Gollum, there's there's no real comparison one of them is held up as the industry standard as like this is the turning point where this type of character became truly integrated and that is Gollum. Yeah. So it, you know yeah. I I think they do a, a reasonably good job with Dobby and when he pops up again he they you know the technology had advanced even further uh that you know he he looks even better uh than he does in this movie obviously. Um but you know I think they did a reasonably good job and then with with Aragog they they did a little bit more of the sort of 
you know, they kept him shrouded in secret. They kind of kept him hidden away a little bit. They don't really get up close and in in tight. He doesn't do a lot. Um, And it's kind of the old school sort of horror way of doing things of, you know, just not really showing the monster. Um, Right. Where I think this film sort of excels in its vfx work is i do think they did a, a an exceptionally good job with the basilisk especially for 2002 or whenever this movie came out uh, yeah, i think it sure. looks really good and I, I i if i'm not mistaken it's sort of you know it's like like with a lot of things it's things that there's a mix of, of practical and cg but it's you know it's a giant snake it's going to be mostly cg um but and, there's and it, there's there's cgi in movies that are released this year that don't look that good right right and and so it's it's a you know the harry potter films are never sort of you know they're not they're not star wars or lord of the rings where the technological advances are what you really talk about uh so i you know i don't think anybody uh expects it to to beat out in like a one-to-one comparison like that you know lord of the rings is always going to win in that regard um but there is still that's not to take away from the very very good the incredible vfx stuff that was done on these movies i would i would also say that it's a bit it's a bit apples to oranges comparison just to the fact of i mean of course like you know you, you just just on the basic of which looks better it's fine but like dobby and Gar- Gollum, like of course like i'm assuming dobby's going to have a pretty big role in the future films Gollum is a huge part of those films like so it's like just comparing this film to those is a bit unfair um or at least at this point you know from what i've seen and then like you have that giant spider it is like that scene in return of the king is better lit and there is like it that's that spider has a big scene whereas this is more low lighting they can hide a lot of stuff through there but yeah. still like so they literally all... thousands of spiders like thousands <laughs> of them yeah yeah they definitely with aragog like i said they, they went kind of old school horror on it um i actually have a funny story about about aragog so oh, please um please. I mentioned last thing that makes you laugh about giant spiders. I'm all for <laughs> So I mentioned last week that I went to the, um, like the Harry Potter experience, the, the museum in London where they have all the sets and the props and, and, and all this stuff from the actual films. And they have a creature section where they have a lot of the, the creatures that you see throughout the entire series. And like with most museums, there are, you know, those like little screens that give you information and plaques that say things. And, I, I found the one for Aragog and it's like it's describing the prop and, and what it is. And I'm looking in front of me. I'm like, where is it? And then I looked up and they were dangling it from the ceiling. They were above. <laughs> oh. It was above you. I looked up. I'm like, oh, that's genius. <laughs> it's genius. I had to laugh. Oh. And I, I, I also had to laugh because um, and this is not fair because he's not here to defend himself. But my my younger brother is terrified of spiders, and or he was when he was younger. And uh, we had the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets video game, like the computer game for PC. And in it, you had to face giant spiders. And he would, as a kid, as a little kid, would scream at seven thirty in the morning on a Saturday when we had gotten up early to play this. And he would wake people up. <laughs> and, so, and so when I saw this, I just thought of him. I was like, ah, oh, this that was one of those things like make mental note 
to tell person later, <laughs> you know, and it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was very impressed by the cleverness of the curators of the Harry Potter Museum. Do you remember the Harry Potter ride that we went on at Universal in California? Yeah. Didn't one of the spiders like squirt venom at you when you were on the ride? Yep. I took that between you know? the eyes a couple of times. I think I got it in the mouth yeah. at one point. <laughs> Surprising because you're still with we us. Had the un- we had the unfortunate experience of the ride breaking down on us, not once, but twice. Yeah. And we were just hanging there. And I think one of the times we were stuck hanging there, we were in front of the Aragog section of the ride. And the the mechanic of the ride itself, like the, the part that moves the seats, wasn't moving. Mm-hmm. But the animatronics were still on its time delay to recognize whenever a new <laughs> car came up and it was supposed to squirt the new car. Only problem oh. was our car was just stuck was there. right there, yeah. <laughs> and so every few seconds, whenever the increment expired that it was supposed to shoot the new car, it would just shoot our car several times over because we're just sitting there. Mm. And we're just like, ah, son of a bleep. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Oh, it was okay. It was it was fun though because once they repaired the ride, they let you go on it again by like cutting the line, and we yeah. didn't have to walk through everything again. But oh man, I remember getting squirted by an animatronic spider on more than one occasion, and that that <laughs> alone was enough to kind of give me an aversion to spiders, <laughs> as if I didn't have reason enough. But like, oh my gosh, if I ever run into a spider that actually squirts venom, I'm going to be like, nope, burning the house to the ground. Sorry. Bye. Got to start over. Yeah. 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 Know what you mean. Know what you mean. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> spiders. Well, follow, sorry. follow the spiders, follow the spiders. Oh, why did it have to be spiders? <laughs> I'm surprised that no one has made a movie yet with an aversion. Well, like with where the main character has an aversion to roaches. Because believe me, cockroaches are horrible little creatures. I feel like just, well, that's got to have they're... happened. At some point in the history of cinema, somebody must have been like, you know what's scary? Cockroaches. Let's make a movie. Okay, I think, I think I know of one instance, but I haven't actually seen the movie. I just saw it in a preview. Mm. Do you remember the old movies, Honey, We Shrunk the Kids? Yep, yep. Okay, they made a sequel at one point called Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Okay, I don't think I saw that one. And I saw like the preview for that one, and the parents ended up getting shrunk, and they didn't know how to bring themselves back to life size, and the kids were outside playing or something like that. And at one point, they turn a corner in the hallway, and when they turn around, there's this giant cockroach that twitches its antenna at them and then chases <laughs> them down the hallway. Okay. <laughs> and I I always cringed whenever I saw that preview because I'm like, nope, that's the stuff of my nightmares. Nope, nope, nope. All aboard the nope train going straight through to Nopeville. Oh, sorry. See, see, I think just talking about like regular size like roaches, I'm thinking if you want a character to be scared of something, they're, they're, they're doing Indy 5. In what next year? Yeah, they're shooting it next year. So obviously, like they need to just bring, make, make, give Indy another son. Just forget about Shia. Give Indy another son, and then have him be scared of roaches. 
Oh man! So that you know, it wouldn't have to be Roaches. <laughs> Give him another son. Who's it this time? Tom Hardy. Yes. Dude, whatever. Yes. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. <laughs> oh man, dude! I've been watching Parks and Rec just for Chris Pratt lately. Like his antics on Parks and Rec are hilarious, especially because since I saw Guardians of the Galaxy first, all I see him as is a drunk undercover star Lord. <laughs> like Basically. he finally, he finally got the cojones enough to come back and visit earth for a little while. And, and he stranded. did it under the pseudonym of Andy Dwyer. And he's just hanging out in what, where is it? Indiana with these wackos. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this show Oh, uh, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> How did we get here? We got we got extremely derivative. Let's let's talk a little bit about a character that really wasn't my personal favorite, but maybe he's got some redeeming qualities if you guys can convince me of it. I was not a particular fan of Gilderoy Lockhart, and maybe that's the point. Like yeah. he's supposed to come across as like this phony blowhard and well, then it was he's, like he's poetic justice when he gets exposed but i just didn't like him at all well yeah he's he's supposed to come across as a phony blowhard because he is a phony blowhard you know he's stole, right right and i and i get that like yeah. i saw that coming but the problem was i saw that coming a mile away like yes. the dude messed up every His assignment he was given and then when he was finally given an opportunity to prove himself he runs at the first sign of danger and i'm just like this this guy literally does nothing for me. Why is he even here? Yeah, yeah. It, you know the 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 series does kind of have this sort of um um rotating uh, rotating door of uh, of defense against the dark arts teachers, and and Lockhart fits into fits fits into that very well. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a you know I think they both in the book and the movie, they overplay the Lockhart thing. Um, you know, the, the whole, the, the, the scene that kind of does it for me is the, um, the pixies scene, the Cornish pixies in that. Oh first, yeah. And then he just lesson. runs away. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of does it. It overplays it where, um, you know, there, there's a deleted scene from the movie where he gives them a test where all the questions are about him and I kind of feel like that would have been not to sit here and armchair armchair direct a movie from twenty fifteen years ago, but it, it, you know it, it might have been better to start with that and and not kind of oversell the Lockhart thing. And yeah, the the Pixies scene is fun. It, it's fun, and you 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 know these are sort of action kids movies that have kind of the, you know you need those action hits that, for pacing and and that sort of thing. Um, but just in terms of if if the reveal of Lockhart being a phony is the most important thing, then maybe kind of portray him as being more just full of himself for a while and then reveal later that he is, you know, truly, uh, you know, a phony and not capable of doing anything. Whereas in this case, they kind of just go right into he's not capable. And, you know, in, in the book, they, they try a little bit more at, at suggesting that, you know, oh, it was all part of his plan for things to go wrong. And it was a lesson to make the others to have the kids have to clean up the pixies, you know, like all of that stuff. But even even in, in, in that case, it kind of feels like, you know, 
kind of, like I said, overplayed their hand on this and maybe should have dialed it back just a little bit. And the impact of the reveal might have been a little bit more um, impactful, for lack of a better term. Yeah, because it does it does become pretty obvious pretty quickly that he's a phony. Yeah, and it in it in it he calls the characters around him their intelligence into question when the audience is seeing this, but the characters aren't. And then you have the thing where you know Harry they go to him and. Oh, like, oh, you're you actually are a phony. Like, you guys didn't figure this out beforehand. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of implied that all of the the adults, like all the teachers, kind of are are in on it, and they're kind of challenging him or calling him out when they kind of dare him to go into the chamber of secrets. And that's something that's definitely made a lot clearer in the book that they all feel that way. But it it's still. You know, yeah, for the the kid characters especially, it's you know, it's it's it, you know maybe there's supposed to be a lesson about you know you can't trust everything that adults say, you know that that they're you know to be skeptical to to question things, not believe every claim that someone makes, and there's definitely sort of you know lessons in there about you know people who are always bragging about their accomplishments and and what kind of what kind of person really does that um and and so there's there's you know i can see sort of what the intent behind this character was and i i do think you know kenneth branagh did a a really good job with what he was given that was kenneth branagh oh my gosh yeah yeah it was um but like i said they overplayed the hand it could have been it could have been a better reveal if it was downplayed a little bit i think yeah, and I think well, I mean, it is. I think there's something to be there's something to be appreciated about the characters. The yeah. fact of like you're saying, with like on one side of this, you have the Malfoys who is thinks they're better than everyone else, and they aren't, but they're 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 jerks about it. But and you know, on the flip side of that, you have this guy who kind of thinks he's better than everybody else like he, he definitely plays into this but you know he's kind of nice about it too but at the same time he is very annoying about it um but then he's you know he's a phony mm-hmm. like i think it, it goes to show that people there's a lesson to be learned about you know people that that say they're important that believe they're important that want to tell you they're important probably aren't as in, that important and they they and, don't actually have the answers they claim to have you know yeah it's like i mean certain spaces certain people you know even in society say i am very smart i am i am this i am that that's that's not how it works there's there's something there's something very there's something ben there's something very t-r-u-m-p-e-n about him you know there's there's Uh, you you said it not yeah Um, (laughs) you know like there's you know not to it's too bad it's too bad our listeners can't spell they won't yeah you know but like just but i I don't want to make it about any specific person but just like ben was saying in general you know oftentimes people who have that very high opinion of themselves and they claim to have all these answers without actually being able to back them up and you know lockhart kind of proves this he 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 doesn't have the answers he's in it for the fame he loves to 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 flash a smile for the cameras again you could you could 
almost even make a sort of like kind of a Kardashian even um, <laughs> comparison there as well. You know, to, you know, of, of somebody who hasn't actually really done anything. He's just famous almost for, you know, he, he he's not actually interested in doing something good. He's just interested in being famous. And again, that's something that's played up a little bit more in the book, but you do get it in the movie. You know, he's, he's making Harry answer his fan mail. He's loving posing for pictures. You know, he sees Harry and he immediately pulls him up because he knows it's going to be a great photo op and he can be on the cover of the newspaper and, and all, the, all that. Um, but it, 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 it does kind of, uh, I, I, you know, that the character, you're not supposed to like him. Uh, and, and there, it definitely is some sort of commentary on, on that, type of person that you might encounter and it's it, there's sort of a lesson in being skeptical and looking for evidence and looking at the evidence and if harry and ron had actually and hermione of all three of them had actually looked at the evidence in front of them they would have realized that there was something off about this guy a lot sooner than they did because they still you know even if even if harry and ron thought there was something weird about him they still believed his stories like they thought he would be the one who could help them uh defeat the the, the, the defeat slytherin's heir and the chamber of secrets and, and rescue Ginny, and yet he was running away and yeah that's that's that, that's lockhart man he's 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 you got to be skeptical of, of of people like that and i think that sort of is what they're going for but i i agree in terms of execution it's it's not always there right Right, I agree, totally. Uh, I think the other thing that maybe I had a beef with goes back to your interpretation of the characters. They're able to use such great in-depth analysis when it comes to finding a polyjuice potion that they can use. They they do a lot of research in Sorcerer's Stone about you know finding out who uh, who originally created it and trying to figure out you know by deductive reasoning that that must be what Fluffy's guarding. Like they, they've got a lot of smarts about them. Uh Like the, the, when you, when you put those three together, there's intelligence there, Uh but it wasn't enough to recognize that this guy is not who he said he was. Like, I, I don't know. It it feels like, yeah. And and again, again, it it felt like there was a gap in the writing or something, perhaps that it was like, Oh, we're really, really smart when it comes to magic, but we're terrible judges of character. Yeah, I think there's there, there's definitely, like I said, I, I don't know if the execution on on, on this, I don't, I don't think the execution on this character is the best uh, it, it could have been. But I, I do think there is something there about, you know, somebody who says, who repeats that they're so great and everybody believes that they're so great, like... You know, if if everybody believes that this one person, if everybody else believes that Lockhart's telling the truth, if they've read his books and they think that they're, uh, you know, actual accounts of what happened and not, you know, some sort of fiction, uh, you know, sort of mishmashed of a bunch of different people's stories to create one hero that he then embodies, you know, there's there's a temptation to sort of think, well, you know, maybe I'm just not seeing it or maybe I just don't like the person, but he's still a great hero. Um Again, I'm I'm kind of I, I think maybe I'm I'm at this point I think maybe I'm grasping at straws. I do think, you know, the all the stuff about celebrity and and people who have have the say they have all the answers but really don't is all still there. It is definitely there in the story, but in terms of why it's not recognized sooner, I, you know, 
part of it's it's just kids part of it's you know when there's a mythos built up around somebody that's part of it but part of it's just yeah they again they overplayed they overplayed the his his incompetence too soon right well it was definitely on display when he was trying to teach the students how to defend themselves in what can I what I can only describe as as wand fencing. Yeah. Like Wizard his, dueling. His, his his ineptitude against Snape was one thing and then his horrible teaching when it came down to to Potter and Draco like I, he just looked like he didn't even belong in the same room as some of these people. Yeah. And it was it was kind of embarrassing not just not just for him, but just for that particular scene, because it had a lot of really great potential. And it got better when you when you came to the discovery that Harry can speak parcel tongue. But at the same time, Lockhart kind of killed the vibe at a couple of instances there because you're like, whoa, this could be really, really cool. And then it wasn't quite as cool because he dampened the mood a couple of times. Really? I, I didn't get that vibe. I don't get that vibe from that scene at all. I, I totally got that vibe. I, if it was any other Defense of the Dark Arts teacher, I would have been probably more intrigued with that. If it had been anybody else fighting Snape, like if they had had McGonagall going against Snape, that would have been interesting. There might have actually been a deflection or two instead of a couple of people falling over every single time a spell was cast. <laughs> like, I yeah. would have loved to see a counter spell from the professors. Hello? Yeah, well, but, again, again, this is where I think it kind of taps into they overplayed their hand, where if we hadn't already had the, the Pixies scene, we might, we might, as the audience, be more willing to believe, you know, ah, he let him do that. You know, like, I think, I think, you know, if you, if you t- remove the context of what had come before, I think that that scene plays a little bit better. But again, you can't really remove the context from, of, from what's come before because it's so... Uh, crucial to it but I, I just love that scene i love you know the lockhart character the execution of it and his use in the story is is one that is i i, I don't i'm with i'm generally i'm with you but in this scene i do kind of love the silliness of yeah I, well i meant to let him do that you know i i, I meant to let him I, if i had wanted to stop him i could have and, and and that sort of thing and i think that's kind of funny and fun to see when you know you have someone who is a vastly superior wizard like snape taking him down in the way that he does is 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 kind of fun especially when you know and, and maybe you know knowing that that's the re- that the reveal and then rewatching that scene is is more fun because you're really enjoying seeing this phony get exposed and then watching him try and try and weasel his way into explaining why and and nobody really buys into it um and then and then I love the the Harry Malfoy duel of just sort of like you know, it's basically, just, you know, it's a schoolyard fight. They're, they're not real. They don't really know what they're doing. And and then, and then yeah, then you get the parcel tongue scene, which is pretty great. Oh, the parcel right. tongue sequence is fantastic. Like, yeah, and, and also just getting more history on Harry and understanding, like, there's more to him. There's more to him than just like, oh, this kid comes in and he's from wizarding parents or whatever. And, you know, he gets put into Gryffindor where he wants to be like, what if he doesn't belong there? What if he has these, you know, and I think it's 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 all about what if he's got a little bit of the dark side in him? Like, uh-huh. that's interesting. That's 
that's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, um, it begins. I also found it interesting. Sorry, Adam, I didn't yeah, mean go to for cut it. you off. But I, I just found it really, really interesting that he was under the assumption, Harry was, that parcel tongue was not an unusual thing. That, that he was expecting, you know, several other students to have that ability. And then when he finds out that it's not, he almost gets alienated even more so than he was before uh-huh. because of these newfound abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You know, for Harry, you know, he, he, he grew up, you know, thinking he was weird because of these, you know, weird things that kept happening to him. And then he realizes, no, you're not weird. Lots of people have that ability. And then so I guess he would just assume that, you know, talking to snake snakes is just, you know, part of the deal with being a wizard and then come to find out it it's not. And it makes it kind of tragic that, you know, he's gone to his sort of sanctuary away from the the awfulness of the Dursleys and, and you know, it, where they ostracize him for being a wizard and they lock him up in his room. And, you know, he's, he has that great line at the beginning. I'll be up in my room making no noise and pretending that I don't exist. You know, that's uh, another <laughs> Internet meme that I got. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you, you and then all of a sudden he's at Hogwarts where he thinks he's supposed to belong. And then he's being ostracized again and it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes it, it that whole section of, of the, of the story very tragic in a way. Um, and then of course it's revealed that, you know, he's, he's still a good guy, but you know, chamber of secrets really is where they begin. And they do this quite overtly uh, to draw parallels between uh, Harry and Voldemort. And yeah, and there's even more uh, in the the books uh, you know there's some stuff that's talked about in the chamber of secrets book that gets addressed in in depth in later books and is actually then addressed on screen uh in the film so i, I won't talk about that just yet but they definitely start to draw that parallel and then you get the the great line from dumbledore at the end that you know you, you may you may base that basically says you may have some superficial similarities to Voldemort, but you're not like him because you choose not to be like him and it's a it's a powerful powerful scene delivered beautifully by the the late Richard Harris. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and and you have to you have to draw that. You have to say to to add more peril to his character to say, oh, there's this awful person out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, I am like that person. I am at least somewhat – I share some similarities to that person. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not – you're not going to become that because you don't want to become that because you're going to make better choices. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So can I but ask – can will, I – can will I, he make better choices, though? Well, that's, that's the real question. We will yeah. find, you, yeah. you will find out over the next uh, six movies. Uh, can I ask you guys yes. something? Yeah, so I, I figure. I figure we'll maybe, you know, we've talked about a lot of the, the the movie so far. We might as well get to the the climax and some of the the later scenes and talk For a little sure. bit about Tom Marvolo Riddle. So, mm-hmm. I I have to ask, did you guess the twist? Did you know who he was? Did you figure it out? Yeah, because spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm. I'm not. I'm still not sure. I'm totally clear on the twist. All right. To be quite honest, so Ooh, then Mr. Expert here can can sort it all out for yeah, everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he is he is the embodiment of Voldemort, similarly to the last guy with 
Voldemort's face on his on the back of his head? Is it something similar to that? It's kind of similar. So part of Voldemort exists in the diary. And um, through the diary is a way that he might come back. And so the version, what we see, the Tom Riddle that we see in the Chamber of Secrets is a is a manifestation of that memory. And the idea is that eventually he will basically be able to take Ginny's life force, I guess, for lack of a better term, and use that to restore himself to his uh, proper proper being. And, gotcha. uh, you know, and so it's it's you know, it's it's a little bit vague. But I, I will say there are more answers coming. So, I figured, what, I figured so what I what I got from it, just to follow up on on what you were saying, to try and make it even more cohesive in my head, canon, if I can. Sure. Um. There was there was a student at Hogwarts fifty years ago mm-hmm. by the name of Tom Riddle. Yes. And he was not directly involved with the opening of the chamber. No. But he was affected by it, same as the other students. And, that's, and he, sorry, wrote, so, so. He, wrote, he wrote about it in his diary. And as Secrets of the Chamber unfolded, he logged it in that diary. Over time, he, Tom Riddle, became who we now know as Voldemort. He he did did he because because sort when he when of. he did the whole when he did the whole name change thing it made it look like Tom Riddle kind of renounced who he was a la Anakin Skywalker yeah. and then did a, a letter shifting and and went from Tom Riddle to Lord Vader or Lord Voldemort yeah so sort of you're you're kind of fifty percent right there Zach so okay. yes there is an Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader thing going on that is absolutely true Tom Riddle becomes lord voldemort they are one and the same mm-hmm. um however it's it's with the chamber of secrets and and what actually happened 50 years ago where you're a little bit off tom riddle lord voldemort is the heir of slytherin he right is he is the one who opens the chamber he is the one who controls the basilisk and so when it happened 50 years ago he was the one coordinating the attacks he was the one who essentially killed moaning myrtle and then this time around using the diary he's able to possess Ginny, and she does all that stuff so Ginny finds the diary and she starts writing in it and she right. gets the, she gets the responses back the same way harry does and right. through the magic infused in the diary um she's kind of possessed by by voldemort tom riddle and and also just using his sort of power of, of influence and persuasion to get her to do do these sort of terrible things, to control the snake, to uh, to open the chamber, to have all of these attacks happen, and then eventually to try and lure Harry there. Uh, is uh, It is Voldemort acting through Ginny, um, much right. as he acted on his own 50 years ago. Right. Interesting. Right, right. And it's because as the heir of Slytherin in the chamber, his powers are enhanced, which is why he was kept alive in the diary for so long and why his powers became enhanced <laughs> when the diary was in the chamber. 
that's what that's what led to the physical embodiment in the chamber that you don't see anywhere else throughout the entire school campus. You only see that physical embodiment in the chamber. And that essence that we were seeing was gaining corporeal form as it was taking Ginny's life force away. Yeah, basically. There's um, yeah, man, you said something there. You don't know what it means, but it means something. <laughs> you, <laughs> said something. You, you, you hit on something really important, and I, I don't want to say anything more. But, but, but I, I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with the chamber itself. It's just sort of that sort of more that transfer of, of life force going on there through some mm-hmm. form of dark magic that uh, Voldemort and others would use. But specifically in this case, Voldemort. Okay. Okay, interesting. Yeah. You hit well, on something. I'm on, you hit on I'm, something. I'm on. I'm on the right track then. That's, <laughs> uh, that's good to know. It's gonna be, gonna be fun when when you figure that one out. I I can imagine. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward really, to it. I'm really intrigued as to what I accidentally hit the nail on the head of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not telling. Not telling. All right. Uh, another thing I, I'd like to get you guys take on. What do you think of Fox the Phoenix? I that was intriguing. Um, not what I was expecting from a phoenix, but also not in a bad way. Uh-huh. Like I knew that, that that phoenixes were were magical and powerful, obviously, but uh, maybe maybe I just didn't know to what degree, sure. and I guess I wasn't expecting it to be to that particular degree. Also, felt like kind of a cop out at times. Like, oh, you're not allowed to look at the basilisk. So here comes Dumbledore's pet to peck its eyes out. Yes, this this story, this this of all the Harry Potter stories is where it delves closest to being a, a, a Doisex Machina. Where, hmm. you know, you have that sort of uh, godly or supernatural... Um, interference that kind of saves the day and you know they do kind of they try to explain it that you know Harry because harry showed such loyalty to dumbledore that's why fox showed up which you know it's interesting but it is it definitely is a it it definitely is it feels more like it's you know that intervention from for lack of a better term the gods uh, because that's that's where that whole dos ex machina term comes from is you know greek mythology when you know the hero would be in such a terrible terrible state that the only way they could be saved would be by by one of the gods reaching down and saving them and, and you kind of eagles are coming yeah exactly well there's there's a you know there's another classic example of it right there um and so this one and again maybe this is why it, it ranks a little bit lower on my list is is because it, it does kind of the the ending there harry harry kind of gets a freebie whereas in the other ones it's more his own doing or the doing of people around him that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It makes sense. And, and yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll see that when you guys get to prisoner of Azkaban, you'll see that much more, um, it, it, you know, much more. Overtly. I mean, yeah. See, okay. Here, here's, here's my, here's my other qualm. Uh, they, they mentioned it several times over as like, we could really use Hermione right about now. Like they take- could have done something else to her like i don't i i obviously i don't know if this is a book thing or or movie thing but regardless 
they could have done something else to take Hermione out of the picture and then bring her back in the chamber rather than bringing in Fox the Phoenix. And she causes the distraction. And if she's got such an effect on, you know, certain spells involving Harry's glasses and certain healing properties, then she could also have a destructive property that knows how to deal with Basilisk's eyes. You know, that's a, she that's could an have, interesting idea. She, she could have been the distraction. She could have been the, the magical surprise that shows up at the end. And then it would have been her like Harry's friends merit saving the day rather than just this random Phoenix showing up from almost nowhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, speaking just directly on Hermione, like, uh, she's pretty much taken out of the last third of this movie. Yeah. She had a much condensed role compared to other stuff because when she drinks the, the potion, she accidentally takes cat hair instead of, uh, human hair. And so she can't go on the mission and then as she's trying to get ready for the next stage of the game, she ends up seeing the basilisk in the mirror and she's petrified. And now she can't do anything for the rest of the movie. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, that you know, Hermione is really taken out of the picture of this one. Um, I will say she gets that back in future stories. Um, but, you know, the idea that she would she would come back in some way, you know, I, I think taking Hermione out of the picture I think that does a lot to really solidify the threat of the chamber and of the basilisk. It's that, you know, Hermione, for the most part, the people that get petrified are people we've never really heard of and don't really care about. Right. No, I agree that doing somebody like the big three is a, is a personal touch and like helps you realize the severity of mm -hmm. the situation. And, and but it, it, it you does... could have done you could have done Draco, you could have done Neville, you could have done somebody that's had a a, a reasonable amount of, of screen time without having to take out one of the big three. Yeah, I, I see that. I, I just th- I think that if it had been Neville or it had been Draco or it had been somebody else, I I don't I still don't know if it would have had the same impact. And I think losing Hermione is is, is you know, it it raises the stakes for the characters as well. It makes them realize that they're not invincible that things can go wrong to things can happen to them. And yeah, uh, but the stakes were raised in the sorcerer's stone when they had the chess match and they realized that it was wizard chess. Yeah. But nobody, nobody had to die or get taken out of the equation in that film. It's true. Sure. Well, I mean, that does kind of take, take both Ron and Hermione out of the equation with the wizard's but chest. But yeah. for, for like what? 10 yeah. minutes during the, the final climactic battle where there really isn't a battle. Uh-huh. Like I, I don't know. I mean, they, 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 they're not. Neither of them are out for nearly as long as Hermione was out for this film. Is is my counterpoint? I'm not arguing. I'm just saying creative differences. No, no. You know what no, I mean? No, no. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And, and stop arguing, you two. <laughs> no, no. And, and I will say, like, I, I agree. Like, you know, when when Hermione is not around, you miss her. You know, she's yeah. an incredible presence in this series. Uh, same with Ron, and and there there will be times when Ron's not as round, not around as much, and you miss him too. Uh, Ron was kind of useless in this movie anyway because he had a broken willy. <laughs> I Ron's like crying the whole movie. I love it. Uh, uh, yeah, he's like, he's like, well, he he cries over his wand, 
And then he's like, is it okay to panic now when they're in the horde of spiders? (laughs) And then I don't even know what the heck he's doing when the time comes. Oh, yeah, he gets separated by the by the rock fall. Like he gets taken out of the equation as well. Like if you're going to take somebody out of the equation anyways, like just just do it by physically separating them like they did with the with the avalanche. Instead of instead of petrifying her, I I yeah. don't. Count, count, nah. the, the, the counterpoint is that by taking Hermione out of the equation in the way that they do, it does kind of it removes a, a crutch from Harry that you know Hermione would. He's got to he's got to do it on his own. No, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that that Hermione would always have that answer, and in a way, she still does. You know, they find the the uh, the crumpled up piece of paper in her hand, which is one of those things that works in a book but not so well in a movie because you have to be pretty obvious in a movie and then it doesn't really work um that you know you don't really buy that nobody would pick up on the fact that she's been holding this the whole time um but she's been in the hospital for days they've been tending to her night and day they they've probably been changing her garments and all that sort of thing but nobody stopped to look what the crumpled thing was in her other fist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that's, that's one of those things you can get away with in a book and not so much in a movie. Um, but yeah, but it does, it does kind of force them to, to, to try and, and approach things from her, her point of view. Cause she, she is sort of that character that always has the answer or always knows how to find the answer. She's the one that finds out about Nicholas Flamel and the philosopher's stone, you know, like right, she's the one. Right. And, and there's a, there's a great interview with JK Rowling. Uh, that's actually on like the Blu-ray for chamber of secrets where she talks about like, you know, Hermione and Dumbledore are wonderful, just like characters just to get exposition out there because you just assume they know everything. And by taking that away from Harry, it, it, you know, it's a new challenge to overcome. But well, she took away Dumbledore too in this. Movie. Took away Dumbledore too. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the, Hagrid. So like all of the things that Harry's been leaning on in his two years here, like all the different people that mm-hmm. he's been depending on for help up to this point. You know, Hagrid introduced him to the Wizarding World. Dumbledore kind of picked him up in moments when he was down. Hermione had the answers when he was full of question marks. All the different people that he's been leaning on and depending on, he had to be self-sufficient at the end of the movie. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. He he very much had to be self-sufficient because there were a lot of key moments and key people that got taken out in certain ways, whether it's political or petrification. But you know, people got removed to the point where Harry had to learn how to stand on his own two feet. Yeah. Which I'm sure is going to come in handy in ensuing movies. I can just see that becoming inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and yeah. And and so you know, in that way, kind of having the the freebie of the the Dos Ex Machina with the with the Phoenix, kind of you know, it, it reminds it. You, know, you have to think that you know he can get away with it this once, not really having all of the all the things worked out, and not really knowing his way through it. But he's not going to be able to get away with it uh, again. And uh, the older the older he gets and the more he learns, the higher the expectations of exactly, him are going to become. Exactly. Exactly. And the Phoenix won't always be able to swoop in and save the day. Um, but, yeah, you know, like I, I don't I don't totally I, I don't disagree with, you know, anything you've said about, you know, missing Hermione's presence in, in the movie or even the fact that it's kind of it's it's, it's a little bit. So, you know, the, the Phoenix coming in at the end is a little 
easy. Um, and okay. Again, also, another cop out. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't know what spell to cast with his wand. So the sorting hat shows up and gives him a sword, so he can resort to fisticuffs against this lizard thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I, I know that it is like the official Gryffindor sword or whatever, and you must have great powers to be able to summon this thing or or some crap like that. But like. Oh, I don't know what spell to cast, but I'm a wizard. Oh, I'm only 12 for 13, but I'm going to fight a 60-foot snake with a sword that just magically showed up out of a hat. Because I know I know hand-to-hand combat, but, but I don't know the magic words. This is going to work out just fine. Yup, yup, I'm good. I got a sword. That's, that's YA fiction for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I could be like I could be the king of explain a plot film badly for this movie. Mm-hmm. Like twelve year old leaves home and pokes lizard in the mouth with a stick that came from his hat. <laughs> yeah, when you say not, it like not that. drunk to, movie to to save his stone friend. Yep, when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> like wow, that's. That's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets right there for you, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 12-year-old pokes Lizard in the mouth to save his stone friend. <laughs> That's a tweet right there. Yeah. I'm just, telling, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you don't do it, I'm going to tweet it. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> okay. Um, so to, to move on a bit towards we're, we, we're kind of at the ending here but there's something I, I wanted to, to bring up before we sign off of course and, and kind of get into our final thoughts um, the fact that this is actually because of course we kind of mentioned Dumbledore off and on and I think he's you know really really shines in this movie too but the fact that Richard Harris who actually plays him in this film this is his last performance as Dumbledore. Yeah. Because the fact is, I just learned this today after doing a bit of research, that he passed away. He was only 72, which is crazy. Really, I, I, I honestly thought he was older than that. He looks older than that in the film, which is, I guess, a credit to his acting. But he only passed away like a month prior to the movie even releasing. Yeah. Like, which is very, very sad. And, of course, after this point... He was recast, but this is his last performance as one of, I'm assuming, one of his last performances ever. Uh-huh. Um, and really, really sad. But I think he left a mark on these movies. And he definitely, like, I'm looking forward to, or maybe not so much looking forward to, you know, because I think, like, he he did, like, just in the two movies, I feel like he established the character really, really well. So having someone else come in and kind of take over is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, you know, uh, Michael Gambon, who comes in and plays Dumbledore, he does a very good job with the part, but he plays it very differently from how Richard Harris plays it. And, you know, the the Richard Harris version is, is much more in line with what I imagined as when I was reading the books, you know, the, you know it's very soft spoken, you know, mm-hmm. kind of whereas the, the, the Michael Gambon version can be a little bit more intense. And there, he still look at it's not a, not a criticism of, of that performance he still does a really good job with the material but it's different and it, it takes some getting used to and you know i i wonder 
if, if if Richard Harris had been able to continue, you know, how he would have, what his approach would have been to some of the stuff in the, in the later stories, and you know, maybe it wouldn't have been as believable because he comes across as so much more frail than 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 Michael Gambon does. So, you know, I I'll be curious to hear what you guys think uh, when you when you get to uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, what you think of of that change and 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 that sort of thing. But it, it you know this you know when i think of dumbledore the version of dumbledore i think of is much more in line with with what richard harris did right and it, these kind of things are always can be kind of weird and takes a minute to used to like I, i'm 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 still not sure i'm over the roadie thing like changing roadie in an iron man like, <laughs> like like so you know think oh, i'm kidding of course but like i think the there's been numerous things about, you know, changing actors midstream. And they just like, oh, it never happened. You know, just keep going. Um, it does take a few movies to kind of, okay, this is this is how it is now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, I see what you did there. He's definitely going to be missed. Yes, it's on the IPC Twitter page. Go retweet it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I officially made it. One other thing that I want to make note of, I did not get a chance to make note of it in the uh, the previous installation that we that we had, but I'm definitely going to make note of it this time around because um, this is another actor slash actress that is going to make themselves or already has established themselves in sci-fi lore, if you will. And that would be Mr. David Bradley, mm. who plays Argus Filch in this series, and not too long ago accepted the role of the first Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah. And you fans of Game of Thrones may also recognize him as Walder Frey. Yeah. So I I usually give it three separate fandom related franchises that an actor or actress is a part of before I add them to fantasy lore. So the likes of Christopher Lee and um who who is it um Aslan why why can't I think of his name Liam Neeson, Neeson? Qui Gon Jinn. As Qui Gon Jinn, yes. I mean, I don't know why I thought of Aslan first, but you know, he's in he's in multiple franchises, obviously. And now we also have David Bradley that we can add to that mix because he recently took on the role of the Doctor. Uh-huh. So big props to him. He's honestly, I don't know what to make of his character because I think he's got it out for Potter. Like he's just not a fan of Harry in general, but. I don't know what kind of power he has. I don't think he really does. Yeah, that's actually something that's cut from the film. He's what's called a squib. He is basically a reverse mudblood where he has wizard parents, but no powers himself. And Oh, that's odd. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's so that's that's um in in the book actually there's um there's a little it's not even really a, a it's a little mini subplot where he's basically like signing up for some kind of like like study in magic where you know you get some kind of like 
wand that like helps to enhance your power or something it's not fully explained it's called like a quick wand but like quick spelled with a k or something (laughs) you know something like that and uh he thinks he thinks potter is the heir of slytherin and he thinks he attacked the cat because he knows that filch is a squib sort of thing so he kind of that that's in the that's in the book uh in the they actually shot a scene a deleted scene for for the film where harry finds like uh, uh, the envelope for the quick wand or whatever that that filch has and and it's kind of almost more presented more of an east as an easter egg in, in the, this deleted scene uh but it's played out a little bit in the book and the, the concept of the squib comes back uh in a big way in a later story oh well, actually, I won't say in a big way, but in a um, impact in a moderately impactful way. <laughs> I love all these teases. Yeah, I hope I hope so... it lives up. <laughs> you you're you're get, you're giving me like a lot of really high expectations for the future movies now, Don. So you better... I'm thinking I'm thinking I might just need to put in Prisoner of Azkaban immediately after the show is off. Well, yeah, I, I will say the thing about the squib, like the idea, the concept of a squib doesn't come back for a little while in a, in a, in a meaningful. Oh, so you're saying I have to watch like three movies tonight in yeah. order to get the answer. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not I'm trying, now I'm trying to remember how, if it's, if it's really emphasized in the movie or if it's more just in the book, I think it's kind of more in the book. So don't, don't be looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> don't oh, be look- crying out loud you got my hopes up yeah don't don't be looking for that it's more in the the book series but it's 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 there in the movies but yeah it, it filch is a is an interesting character Definitely. that's not that's not a tease that's just my assessment <laughs> there's no i well I we're, we're hanging on every this, word it's not a say. tease it's just we're, an assessment I'm, I'm literally on the edge of my seat but it's more <laughs> because of the march madness game i'm watching than it is because of your commentary <laughs> <laughs> This has become the Harry Potter and basketball arc. Yeah. Shush. Shush, 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 shush. I will not, sir. This is a podcast. I have to talk. Oh, do you? I yes. I could I could replace you with Dom. <laughs> I could replace you with Dom. I could replace uh, no. I could replace both of you with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not play- wrong. <laughs> Hey, it's happened. Me, I mean, yeah. Chris it, replaced both of us with Jake. Yeah. So, I mean, or Jake, like, uh, drag Jake into about, this. I was about to say they they've done a hostile takeover of the show not too long ago. So, apparently, we're both expendable. Mm, but mm. Uh, before we close for the night and move on to other segments, this is something that uh, that I've been meaning to ask you guys, and maybe it's come up in the conversations. Maybe it hasn't. But did you guys have a particular scene that you enjoyed the most? Something that had a magical element to it or maybe a character building moment or something funny, something visually stunning, something amusing? What was what was your favorite scene in the film? Ben, you take this one. Um, I I love the I love I mean all the sequences with the flying car were great. Yeah. I particularly loved when they decide to steal the car after they can't get to the the train platform <laughs> and then they're going and they're flying over the tracks you know it's coming mm-hmm. and a part of me knew because again memes again 
you know, I've seen the meme where they're, you know, they're, they're flying and, and of course the train comes behind them. Um, but it's great scene because like, it's so like they pump a, there's so, so much suspense into that scene because, you know, they're flying and the train's behind them and they try to get out of the way. They go into the thing and then Harry falls out of the car. He's hanging on. Like, it's really like thrilling and, you know, it's just crazy. But and then they fly into the tree and the thing, thing and, and then the car's like, screw this, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm tired of getting beat up, so I'm just going to take off without you. Mm-hmm. Have either of you fellows seen the old 1960s movie with Dick Van Dyke called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Yes, when I was little, so I don't really remember it. Yeah, kind of same thing right here. It's an old movie, so I don't blame you, but it's so weird. Also, <laughs> another movie involving a flying car that possesses intelligence. And there was this one sequence where it's so they're they're in this country where adults can't stand kids, so they banish them to the dungeons and the pits below their castle. And the kids finally stage a revolution in order to try and save Dick Van Dyke's grandpa and kids from imprisonment. And in the midst of this uprising, in the midst of this revolution, there's a fight in the throne room. And it's everything from maces and clubs and sword fighting to people running along the dinner table, tossing wine down women's blouses. Like, I don't understand this type of fighting. It's weird. Like, there's this one scene where they do this this really tight close-up of this woman that's wearing a Victorian-era dress like Elizabeth from Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, she's got the, the whole exposure thing going on up here and this one kid just kind of runs by on the dinner table and picks up a glass of wine and kind of just drops it down her top and she just kind of dramatically whimpers and she's just like oh because she got wine down her down down her dress i am so confused right now yeah where are you where are you going with this (laughs) where am i where am i taking this i don't know it was a weird fight scene okay and in the midst of this chaos that involves wind down blouses and sword fighting and nets picking people up and trapping them and all kinds of crazy stuff in drives the car all by itself into the fray of this fight scene running people over in order to get to the protagonists okay okay i see where you're going with this now (laughs) it's so weird and it reminded me a lot of when the car just started barreling over all the different spiders in the forest yeah. to get to get part. Harry and Ron. It's like it's got its own intelligence and it sensed they were in danger and it just randomly showed up. Another kind of a cop out thing a little bit in my mind. Like, really? This is how you're going to save them. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. I mean, they're completely surrounded. You know, they're going to get out of it somehow. But the car was the last thing on my mind. Like, it was oh, not. of course, of I, course, I was, the car is just going to randomly show up. It's like, okay, well, I guess we're saved. Like, okay. Obviously, you can tell that was not my favorite scene. My favorite scene was probably the scene that we're going to be discussing for the quote of the night. So I'm going to hold off for just a sec. Dom, did you have yeah, a favorite that, scene? That that's definitely up there for me. It's it's kind of a, a toss up between the arrival at the borough and meeting the Weasleys proper mm-hmm. and just everything that kind of comes with that. Um, and sort of the end sequences between Harry and Dumbledore that we kind of talked about earlier um you know with the whole you know it's 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 uh it's not our abilities that define who we are it's our actions 
Um, yeah. I, I just I just love scenes between Harry and Dumbledore. That 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 was such a, a, a such a fun relationship to follow through the through the series. And and any time those two shared the screen or shared the page together, uh, I was paying extra attention. And and I'll I'll throw this one in: shared the stage together. I was paying extra extra attention uh, because that was one of my favorite. Those are two of my favorite characters in the series, and that's probably my favorite sort of dynamic. Uh, between characters so it's kind of a toss-up there although uh you know uh, honorable mention to wizard dueling i do love that scene uh and to Mm -hmm. what we're gonna get to with quote of the night yeah 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 i mean it's kind of interesting the 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 mirroring that came between this first movie and and the second movie where you've got um the the penultimate sequence happening with a with a one-to-one moment with dumbledore and Harry, and then mm-hmm. the ultimate sequence, the the final stanza, seems to happen in the in the dining room. Everybody's everybody's getting together yeah. at the very end of the film, and they're all sharing a meal together. And if I had to pick a least favorite scene, it would probably be that one because Hermione runs and and hugs Harry, but shakes hands with Ron. Hagrid oh. shows back up from Azkaban and and then it becomes the most awkward <laughs> the the most awkward yeah. and elongated and superfluous and unnecessary round of applause that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That was that was something that didn't that like as a kid I loved that sort of moment for Hagrid but when I was watching it this week I was like wow this is kind of awkward this <laughs> this mm-hmm. doesn't hold up although I do love the um the Ron the the, the reunion of the trio and, and the hug and and sort of the, the the Ron and Hermione awkwardly shaking hands and 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 that sort of thing and and yeah you know, but because of the spoilers I know what happens I know, later I know and that's and what- I'm I, I love and I'm like why I know see I, I because of those spoilers or it's not really spoilers for me it's just having read the story uh I yeah. actually I like I like it better that they are in that kind of awkward like we both like each other but we don't want to show it yet phase and I think that's kind of that's cute it's cute I like it um also in in sort of the cute uh side of things is that when they shot this scene um I think it's this one it, Harry and Harry and Hermione don't hug in Philosopher's Stone, do they? No, uh, I don't recall, but I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. So in in this one, uh, they were both they were still kind of in the, you know, the actors that is, you know, Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe. They were kind of in the ew, girls are icky, boys are icky kind of phase. They were just at the end of it in their lives, and so the idea of having to do a hugging scene is just like was like no, we don't want to do that. And apparently, <laughs> like. Emma Watson, you know, she hugs Daniel Radcliffe and she let go of him like immediately. And so they had to like, if you look at it, they, they're, it's all the same take. And it's like, they used the footage from one angle for as long as they could. And then they went back to the start of the hug and used all the footage from the, the other angle to make it seem longer to like stretch it out. They used filmmaking tricks and apparently they might've even like slowed down the footage just a little bit to make it last longer oh, wow. because they did like the kids just didn't want to do it, but they had like, they had to do it to get the scene, but they were not into it. They were like, Ew, that's gross. such a funny comparison to teenage movies and shows of today. Yeah, because now you've got shows like Stranger Things where 
Finn Wolfhard and Millie Bobby Brown have to have kissing sequences. Yeah, we're we're still a couple movies away from that. Away from that. I I know, but we're not we're not too far out. I have a feeling. There. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. But yeah, let's get to my favorite scene of the evening, mostly because. Yeah. It's just great character development and a great story arc for a character that I really wasn't expecting to get that much development. And I really was not expecting this kind of a trick to be pulled either. Like, he tries to return the diary and and confront Malfoy. But then at the same time, he also knows that Malfoy is going to consider himself far too important to continue holding it. And he plays that to his advantage. Just a very, very smart move by Harry Potter to slip a piece of clothing into the pages of the book like that. Yeah. And that and that's what we get to talk about. It's a it's a Jason Isaacs moment, and he was one of my favorite characters in this movie. It's a Harry Potter smarts moment, and obviously any moment where Harry Potter gets to shine is awesome. And it's a great sequence of events and a great character arc for Dobby the uh, the elf as well so it's towards the end of the movie it's a really great sequence I'm not going to dive into it any further ladies and gentlemen without further ado I present to you tonight's quote of the night Mr. Malfoy Mr. Malfoy I have something of yours mine I don't know what you're talking about oh I think you do sir I think you slipped the diary into Ginny Weasley's cauldron that day at Diagon Alley. You do? Do you? Why don't you prove it? Come, Dobby. Dobby? Master has given Dobby a sock. What? I didn't... Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. Never try to save my life again. I have a feeling that's some foreshadowing. <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. we yeah. shall. We I'm, shall I'm get afraid. To... I'm afraid again. 
I've been on YouTube. Mm. I've seen things. <laughs> oh. I uh, yeah. You but know. I actually some of this there's there's several there's a lot of little bits of information that I've known for a while now that I've just been exposed to just randomly through different things because I read comments and stuff like that. Plus I'm just on the internet most of my life, so whatever. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm just I'm, the stuff I do know. Like I'm not that spoiler phobic. I'm just looking forward to like seeing how it all fits together. It's about the journey, not the destination. Exactly. 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 So it's from another so, movie. Speaking of which, I finally realized where my giant invisible snake hails from. <laughs> oh, good. I've, oh. I've been worried about this the all night. The mystery has been solved. Tell us. <laughs> yes. I, I finally realized that it's coming from the latest season of the CBS sci-fi series, Zoo. Oh. There is... Not Zoombie. No, not, not Zoombies. <laughs> Although, if we want to talk about if we want to talk about CGI characters, we absolutely need to have a Zoombies. There discussion, was no so. giant CGI snakes in that movie. That was a disappointment. The, yeah. There was nothing CGI in that movie. It was and all that was real. All, all real, real. When are we Those doing the? When are we doing giraffes? When are we doing the Zoombies commentary? Serious. We, we did one on the Fandom Fraternity podcast, and you guys didn't show up for that oh. one. So. We, uh, I, think, I don't know. We may do one on IPC. We may do like a special edition episode or something and just release it without going live and letting everybody know about it. We'll just mm. shoot the breeze about it one time or something. Yeah. Cause By yeah, the way, people who don't know what we're talking about, go watch Zombies on Netflix. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> this is this movie. This is this movie that Zach showed us when we were at his house in in december waiting for the last jedi he's like he's like this is this really bad movie that we're all gonna watch together basically and we had i just unilaterally life. made the decision we were all waiting for <sighs> trying trying to figure out ways to kill time before chris landed yeah at the airport and so we, we were just like it. you know what we're not gonna play video games we're not gonna we're not gonna watch a tv show no. we're gonna watch zombies zombies yeah I feel like um, I feel yeah. like if if there ever is an IPC Zombies commentary, somebody needs to figure out a drinking game for it. Um, I mean, anytime, anytime anything uh, happens, <laughs> any anytime a second passes in the movie, take a shot. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Be dead by any, the end any, of the movie. Any. Any anytime anytime a minute passes, anytime you have a sixty second increment of progression in this film, take a shot so that it's a great movie so by the end of this. Yeah, so that it gets better. <laughs> I mean that that's kind of what happened. It gets better with alcohol. That's yeah. what, that's how it really gets better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Fantastic movie. It's on U.S. Netflix, and it may be on some other places if you know where to look. Right. But I. <laughs> I don't recommend it, and yet I do recommend it all at the same time because exactly. it's just that it's just that it's so bad it's good. Yeah, like it's it's right up there with uh, Zombievers, which actually <laughs> the the people who made Zombies were inspired by the movie Zombievers. Have you ever it. seen Zombievers, either of you fellows? Nope. No, I think I think you showed us like the poster for it or something. I, I think I showed you the poster, and I may have told you a little bit about it. But <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, it is! Ooh, that's another one that I just don't know if, <laughs> if I'm ever going to get into ever again. <laughs> I watched it with some friends of mine, and we were just doing it because it looked ridiculous. 
but I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I never have to lay eyes on that thing ever, ever again if I don't want to. <laughs> so on Phantom Fraternity, when we did a Zombies episode, the hosts gave it a score of 2.5 out of 10 from Sage, 1.1 from Jake. I gave it a 3.0 because I just don't give really much of anything below a 3.0 out of 10, even if it's a horrible movie like Zombies. McMahon gave it an 0.7. So yeah, I'm kind of with I'm kind of with McMahon on this one. Although we had so much fun watching it that I might just be nice to it and give it a four. Yeah, I think I think the 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 fun is is part of what makes movies good. Sometimes is just experiencing something bad with a bunch of good people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, together, that gives it a, a cumulative score of 18.25%. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that seems about right. <laughs> that, that, that's about where it fits on the tomato meter, wouldn't you say? So yeah, about one right. of the things that we like to do here on IPC is we do something called a planet score. We did it for the movie last week when we discussed Sorcerer's Stone. We've done it for a couple of other films that have come out. I think we did it for Black Panther. We did it for the Lord of the Rings movies, didn't we, Ben? Yep. Um, so it's, it's kind of a new thing that we're doing in 2018. We've gotten some submissions from those of you that are listening. It's really just for members of the Peacekeeper Corps and those that are listening live. You can't submit it later than the end of the episode because we're not going to go back through our archives and try and update them every time somebody sends us a number. So if you're listening live and you want to tell us your rating out of 10 for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, be sure to send that to us now while we discuss our ratings for it. Uh, ben, what number out of 10 do you give a planet score of for Chamber of Secrets? That's tough because I'm trying to wonder, I'm trying to remember what score I gave Sorcerer's Stone. I'm pretty sure you guys both gave it really really high ratings like a nine i think i, I think yours was a nine and i gave it a 10 Dom's, you gave it a 10 and i think i gave it an eight yeah that sounds right i, I think that was the numbers i'm trying to go back to our 184 discussion Tell you what. Week, yeah you gave it a nine i gave it an eight dom gave it a 10 i tell you what like I said, I think I enjoyed this one more than Philosopher's Stone. Thank you. Um, I was going to say it kills me slightly inside every yeah, time. I know, every I time know, you say, I guys know. say Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> I've but been doing it just to fuck you a little bit. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Thanks, this one a lot, <laughs> probably more than the first one. But at the same time, this podcast kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because I heard no, all your I heard all no, your complaints. I'm like, oh. that all makes sense. That all makes sense. <laughs> No, no. Like I, I, I still, I think after that, I will say, I think the first one is probably a stronger movie, and I don't give it. I'm gonna give this one an eight point five, just a little bit less than All right. the first. One. All, right. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Dominic, what about you? So I'll be a little bit, a little bit more critical. I'm gonna give this one seven point five. Um, that's fair. You know, the first one is so because it, it kicks off everything and it's just warm feelings all the way through for me. Um, and, and, you know, it, and it, and it benefits from, you know, being the first and having, you know, the, the legacy of, of, you know, it's, it's legacy is very much, it's hard not to think about it when you watch that first movie. So, uh, you know, I, I stand by giving it 10 out of 10, uh, but this one, I still love it. It's a great, great 
movie it's always very enjoyable the book is fantastic as well you guys should you guys should try reading the book someday um but uh, you know it as we've talked about it does have its flaws like i said they kind of overplayed the the lockhart thing there's a little bit of the uh, of the um you know a little bit too much of a, a, a dosex machina at the end there um and and there's some other little things throughout it that that don't quite that just don't quite um work as well as they could um that being said i think this this story addresses a lot of uh important issues in a in a in a good setting for kids because it is a kid's book and a kid's movie at the end of the day and and you know including the 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 mudblood pure blood side of things not only does it have a sort of a, a a lesson but it makes it a deeper world it makes this whole world this wizarding world deeper it's not just superficial hey is it magic great there is a dark side to it that is more um you know more subtle more evil in a way than just ha ha burning buildings you know uh it, not that burning buildings aren't bad but you know what you know what i mean right like there's there's something something at a deeper level and and i think that enriches the story even because it because it is so evil um so yeah it's it's i still love it it's a great story it's got a lot of good stuff in it i do like lockhart even if they kind of overplayed him plus dobby is just awesome like i'm sure zach will yeah. zach zach already brought up and i mean he may mention again jason isaacs come on how do you how do you how, how do you say anything bad about that guy um and yeah so it's Great movie, couple of flaws, but still good, good stuff. So I'll give it seven point five. That's fair. Uh, that's actually the number that I'm going to give it as well. I'm going to give it a seven point five just because I I gave Philosopher's Stone. Thank you. And an eight last week, and I did not enjoy this one quite as much as I had that nostalgic factor for. You know, the sense of awe and wonder and adventure and everything that we've been talking about from the previous film. There's still some good elements in it. There's still some good intrigue, some good characters, some good CGI. But then there's also some cop-outs and some cliches that I don't always have it in my heart to forgive. And so (laughs) I'm not. And so with that, a 7.5 from you, Dom, a 7.5 from me, and an 8.5 from Ben. That gives it an average of 78.3%. The members of the Peacekeeper Corps had their voice stated earlier, and nobody in the chat has sent anything live. You have until the end of the episode, so that's as we're saying our goodbyes, as we're saying the outro, all that sort of thing. You have until then to submit it to us. But as of right now, we actually have three scores submitted from listeners as well. And their totals actually also average out to exactly 78.3%. But they went about it a very different way. We had a 7, an 8, and an 8.5. But that still totaled out to 23.5 points out of a possible 30 for 78.3%. So we both got about there a couple of different ways. Yeah, took took a different path, wound up in the same place. And apparently that place is something that is just below a B average for this movie. <laughs> it got a, it got a, a very sturdy C plus from us this time around. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to when we get to continue this discussion. We've actually got a little bit of time before we pick that back up again. Like I uh, stated at the during the pre-show, 
Next week is going to be something completely different. We're going to take a break from the Harry Potter series, and we're going to dive into some other things. Uh, we're actually going to be making a return to Middle Earth not too long from now. Uh, stay tuned for when we're going to be announcing that. We'll be announcing it at the first of the month on our page on Facebook called the Peacekeeper Corps. If you're interested in being a part of that group, let us know. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IPC Podcasts, and let us know. We'll get you hooked up with that next week. We're definitely not in the Harry Potter universe. We're going someplace completely different. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But before we can close for the evening, we do have one other matter of business to attend to. And it's one that uh, we basically cannot get along without. Like, I think they did. Did they go without it on our Frasier episode? Did they just forego that discussion or did they just not know what to talk about? (laughs) I think they kind of, they skipped a couple segments. Yeah, that makes sense. We didn't really <laughs> give them with, we, we didn't we didn't really give them a whole lot of structure. We're just like, go on the show, talk about Frasier, and be done with it. And that's basically what they did. They didn't do like the, the outro music, the outro fortune cookie, they did nothing like that. It was just like, okay, bye. And we're like, okay. So... We're going to get back into the swing of things. We're going to start a new streak, if you will. And that At streak's... some point, we're going to have to do two barbecue watches to make up for that. No, the streak's <laughs> over, man. The streak's broken. It, it broke at like 183 consecutive, so we got to get it up to 184 consecutive. But that'll be, goodness, three years from now, three and a half years from now. So we got our work cut out for us. And it starts tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags and start putting them in the chat. Put them on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram primarily. We also check Pinterest on occasion. Any place that carries a hashtag, you need to start using this and keep using this because it is time, one more time, for everybody's favorite segment of the show, except for Robin because this is when he turns off the show, apparently. (laughs) Gotta call him out. (laughs) It's time. This one might actually be worth it, Robin. This is going to be a fun discussion. It is time for hashtag BBQ watch. Barbecue. 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 So tonight's segment is kind of a combination of when barbecue and social media combine. (laughs) When worlds collide, this is what happens. You get barbecue mixed with Twitter, mixed with feuding, mixed with SpongeBob SquarePants memes, apparently. This is something that happened on the Twitterverse not too long ago, a couple of days ago, but it just stood out to me because it was so hilarious. You know how they do those comparisons where something that's really, really good, they superimpose their sign over the Krusty Krab, and then something that's supposed to be like the competitor or something that's not that good, they superimpose it over the Chum Bucket? Well, Uh somebody did that for barbecue slash meat related products the other day someone by the name of daisy hillborn put the texas roadhouse steakhouse logo over the crusty crab sign 
and then superimpose the logo for Outback Steakhouse over the Chum Bucket. And Texas Roadhouse, their social media team caught wind of it, found it, and reposted it saying, we will not comment on this, but we will just leave this here. Dot, dot, dot. When I took a look at it, it had over 67,000 retweets and 260,000 likes. Crazy. Like this thing, this thing went viral. Now, here's where the mistake was made. When you really, really, really want to get attention, you're supposed to use the quote tweet feature. And Outback Steakhouse, their social media team wanted to make a comeback. They wanted to make a reply, a la the Wendy's roasting feuds that go on sometimes. But they made a reply instead of a quote tweet. So the reply ended up in Texas Roadhouse's feed, but it did not appear in Outback's feed. So their social media outreach and their virality was not nearly as large as Texas Roadhouse, even though it was pretty amusing. They used the angry Patrick meme that's been going around, the one where he's got that weird look in his eye. And they made their own meme that said, when Texas Roadhouse tries to throw shade, but they're too scared to at you. (laughs) And that got 9,600 retweets and (laughs) 35.2 thousand likes. In comparison to 67K retweets and 260k likes for the original then texas roadhouse had another epic comeback (laughs) they decided to quote tweet this time they took that reply and did a quote tweet so that it would show up on people's timelines and show up on their timeline and their quote tweet from that outback steakhouse patrick meme said when your comebacks are as dry as the steaks you serve Damn. Boom. Burn. If there was a mic, it just dropped all the way to the very bottom of Bikini Bottom. I'm just saying. (laughs) There was a splash, and that went right to the rock bottom. It it dropped past Bikini Bottom into that place where you have to take the bus that goes up the vertical wall to get to, (laughs) that SpongeBob keeps missing the bus (laughs) in that one episode. You, You guys know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I think that's the one episode of SpongeBob I have I have seen. Wait, Ben, are you telling me you haven't you didn't watch you haven't watched SpongeBob? I've seen a handful of episodes, yes, but I have okay. seen it, but just not that many. If I say, "Hello, is this the Krusty Krab?" How do you reply? No, this is Patrick. But oh, okay. I know that from the meme. Come on, I was, yeah, yeah. Okay, ben. Who doesn't know that? But Ben, do you know what's better than twenty-four? Um, <laughs> no. Do you, Dominic? I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. See, and this is from an internet meme. I don't even watch the show either. Ah, <laughs> oh, you guys. <laughs> what? I think SpongeBob and and Patrick are sitting in school, and they're like, "Hey, Patrick." You know what's better than 24? He's like, no, what? And he goes, 25. <laughs> and they just 24. burst out laughing at it. 
What? I thought of something funnier than 24. Let me hear it. 25. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. <It's> so stupid. <laughs> That's kind of the point. <laughs> Man. Oh my gosh. So SpongeBob meets Twitter meets barbecue on tonight's edition of Barbecue Watch. I think point goes to Texas Roadhouse. If you've yeah. never been, I don't know if I would highly recommend it. I don't know if it's an accurate representation of Texas steaks and Texas barbecue, but it's better than nothing, which is usually what I, you I, get when you go anywhere north of Tennessee. Right. I don't, you know, like I said, I, I don't go there for authentic Texas cuisine. Um, but I do, do there. You want authentic Texas cuisine, you come to my house, baby. I'll fix you up. I know, I know. But I, I do go there quite a bit. And it, it, it's, I, get the, I get the steak and shrimp combo. It's pretty good. So it's like surf and turf almost? Yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. Isn't that, like, exa- isn't that exactly what surf and turf is? Well, <laughs> surf, surf, surf and turf is... Surf and turf is technically steak and lobster. Ah, uh, that's right. That's you're you're right. I I see at the point. You're correct. So there's there's a little bit of a crustacean definition involved it's, there. It's surf but, and turf. So I I yeah I call BS that. Hello, is this the yeah. crusty crab? <laughs> no, this is Patrick. I'm not a crusty crab. <laughs> like that's the name he of the restaurant. <laughs> he, he takes personal offense to it. He's like, I'm not a crusty crab. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man. Get us, get us uh, okay, back on I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do the rap information then. Just a reminder, everyone, go find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. You can also find us personally on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E for Ben. Just spell that out phonetically. And Zach underscore DFW for me, Z-A-C, not a K, not an H, just Z-A-C underscore DFW on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to us on demand at iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Just download the Podbean app from the iTunes or Google Play Store and you'll have access to our entire archive, all 180-something episodes that we've got on there. And uh, it's it's really cool to, to go really, really far back and listen to how stupid and idiotic we sounded almost four years ago. Goodness, we've made a lot of progress, thank God. But if you want to listen to that stuff, then please feel free and leave a subscription, a rate, and review. And a reminder that you can also find some episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com which is also your source for the latest news, rumors, release dates, opinion articles, casting announcements, and more from the galaxy far, far away. You can follow them to stay up to date on the Star Wars universe and find episodes of IPC because they are proud partners of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Dom, you do a lot of stuff over at StarWarsUnderworld.com, obviously as a head writer, uh, and you've got the SW podcast as well. Where else can folks find you in the world of the internet? Yeah, like Zach said, um, StarWarsUnderworld.com is sort of the main place. Sorry, I kind of stole your no, thunder no, no, there, didn't it's, I? It's all good. It's all good. Uh, that's kind of the main place. And um, also Star Wars Underworld Podcast. You can also follow me at DominicJ25 on Twitter and Instagram. And my Instagram is actually kind of interesting this week because there have been – I have a bunch of pictures from Toronto Comic Con that was this past weekend. Uh, there's some great cosplays. Uh, there's a – there's an Irish Dalek because it was St. Patrick's Day. Um, <laughs> and uh, also I met uh, Jonas Swatomo, who plays uh, New Chewie. So uh, 
there's some fun pictures there as well. So uh, yeah, uh, Dominic J25 for that. Guys, it's been so much fun these last two weeks talking uh, Harry Potter with you. Um, not to just invite myself on a future episode, but I'd love to come back when you do more. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed listening as well. Definitely. Dude, it's always a yep. joy having you on. And we've had a lot of people say that they've wanted to be part of this Harry Potter discussion. And I'm sure there are people online who have reached out to us as well. And we just haven't gotten back to them. We're probably going to have to have like a, like a reunion party or something and get all of the Harry Potter fans that, you know, have wanted us to do a Harry Potter discussion for so, so long. Like that's been something since like year one that people have wanted us to talk about it. And we just now are getting around to it in little increments. So whenever we announce it, it's going to be kind of in like two week increments. We'll do like, three and four together and then a little bit later on down the road we'll do five and six and then we'll do deathly hallows back to back as well when we kind of wrap things up and then when uh, fantastic beast comes out later on this year we may do a back to back of the fantastic beast movies as well and just get everything from the potter universe taken care of in 2018 but if you want to be a part of that you may have to wait a few weeks next week we are diving into the Marvel Universe, the Netflix Marvel Universe specifically, for a discussion on season two of the hit series Jessica Jones. Ben, you've got seven days to get caught up on 13 episodes. You feel up to the challenge? Challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge Maybe. extended. Challenge accepted. If not, then we'll fly by the seat of our pants and we'll do something else and then get ready for Jessica Jones the following week. But... Hopefully we can do it next week because I may be out of town in two maybe, weeks. So we'll maybe see. we'll get Jake and Chris back to talk about something random for an oh, hour. Oh man, I, you know we may do another hostile takeover episode, but maybe we'll do that with our patrons. Let them do a do a hostile takeover. I say, I say we get whatever show Jake is working on. We'll just take it over as recompense. No, we could do that. Uh, I think I think a takeover show between our friends uh, Joey Mays and Katie Horn would be pretty fun too. That I think that I think that'd be a pretty fun show. I'd so listen we may to have to we, we may we may have to reach out to them see what kind of availability they've got. I know Katie wants to be in on the Harry Potter discussions eventually too. So, Dom, mm-hmm. um, we may have a roundtable in the not too distant future that we'll count, try and count me. We'll in. try and get you on, um, but. I do think that may do it for this episode of the IPC podcast. If you're interested in the patron program, just go find us on one of the places that we told you you can go find us. You can also listen to our archives at ipcpodcast.podbean.com if you're the kind of person that likes to listen online, or you can find the app like I mentioned. But I think that is it for our things to talk about on this episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. I'm just going to go ahead and call it. Episode 185 is now officially in the books. For Dominic Jones and Benjamin Hard, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in with us this week. We hope that you'll join us next week. But until then, we just want to leave you with this thought. If you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. And we hope to see you on future episodes of IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. 